Just when you thought our sound quality was going to get good, Jackie just went and got a piece of pizza. I got really hungry. Just so y'all know, we got a mic stand. One day we'll we'll learn how to do two mics, but for today we got a mic stand. Jackie's our tech person. You're the one that buys things. <laughs> I yeah, I bought the mic stand. I got one for you too, so that's exciting. We have two mic stands. Yeah. Oh my god. Because we're gonna have two mics one day. Right. <laughs> right. I love that. It's me manifesting. Yes. Through consumption. Okay. I love it. Welcome to fascism. Yay! Yes, so we're a podcast about two galleys that like to chat. Yeah, about art and fashion and culture, and we like to giggle and just, you know, have a good time. Yeah, sometimes we wear cute clothes, sometimes we don't wear cute clothes. Right now, I'm not in cute clothes. Hope looks great, though. You're in your signature PJs, though, (laughs) and that sweatshirt. I don't know. It's not not a look. <laughs> it's de- yeah, you're right. It's definitely a look. But yeah, so if you want to like us, wait, what's a good lead into uh, to lead a lead into what? Telling them to like and follow. Yeah. Mm. If you're in your PJs, that's what I was gonna say. Or in cute clothes. Yeah, we're really we're really for everyone. Yeah. Follow us on TikTok and Instagram. <laughs> Those are the only platforms that matter. Honestly, Instagram doesn't matter, but. <laughs> We're just doing it anyway. I know. I know. I'm I'm a full convert. (laughs) Yeah. Like us on Spotify. You can now rate podcasts on Spotify. Yeah. We need more five stars. Yeah. I mean, there's a million podcasts out there, but I feel like we're trying to like be interesting. Jackie was saying the other day that like her job doesn't really feed her brain, but like doing this podcast feeds her brain. And it's honestly what I obsess over most minutes of most days. So hopefully it shows. (laughs) And then we're, like, just upgrading our equipment as we go. Yeah. I'm, like, I like those because you're, like, please like us. Listen, we're trying. We're That's trying. all. Yeah. <laughs> you should. You uh, got a little something on your chin. Anything else? That's all. That's all. Okay. Um, I wasn't going to do a half-ass job. <laughs> I'm, like, leave that crumb then. Do you have stuff in my teeth? No. But anyways, this is not what it's about. We're not going to talk this whole time about stuff in my teeth, which uh, we could easily. We could. We could probably fill an hour and a half. Um, what's trending? Thank you, Hope. <laughs> I am going on a trip tomorrow to see some friends. So I would say what's trending is like the speediness of getting things done. Like I've had to hurry things, you know, to like get ready for this trip. And I've kind of felt like I've been going, 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 going. And it, I hate right before a trip because it's always mm-hmm. like I want to clean the house. I want to like make sure I kind of have everything done before I have to like leave and it's always just like unsettling. But I, I'm excited about the trip nonetheless. It's not. It doesn't take away from the trip. It's just like it's always, part of the process. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like an uncomfortable leaving the house for a long period of time, kind yeah. of arranging things, talking to the way too many people about like my arrival, my departure, like. Are you gonna stay with your mom at all while you're there? Yeah, a little bit. I really want to see my mom, and I'm really excited to see my mom. Um, but I was, I thought I was gonna see her when I, when I, uh, I'm gonna land in Nashville. That's where I'm going um, at midnight, and that's 
so late. But, like, I'm from Murfreesboro, which is, like, a 45-minute drive from Nashville. Mm. It's about a $100 Uber. And I'm supposed to go hang out with all my friends at this cabin, mansion cabin, for, like, five days on Thursday. But my mom reserved a massage so I was like well I'll go to my mom go home spend this hundred dollars on this uber and like have the day with my mom to go get a massage and then leave and drive three hours because like three hours out of the way um and then Christy was like what are you fucking doing just come over my house it'd be like a twenty dollar uber and then we all leave together and you don't have to borrow your mom's car yeah and I was just like it's uh, too much. I can't. I already made my plans, but we rearranged it. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Is this interesting? Probably not. But listen, it was a lot of me having to rearrange stuff. So that's just thing. And then Carter and like the drop off. I felt like a child. I felt like mm-hmm. I was like, who's dropping me off yeah. and who's picking me up? Yeah. And I was stressed out the whole time for no reason. Just because of having to arrange it. So yeah, dude, traveling is stressful like that. But once you're there, you're just going to be like, Happy as a clam. Oh, yeah. I'm going to Dollywood. Uh, have you been? No. Neither have I. I remember looking into it and, and it was like expensive. It's like- $90 a ticket. But I would say that's expensive to me. Chrissy she told me it was expensive. And then the follow-up question was, well, was it entertaining? Was it worth $90? And she said, yeah. I was surprised. Is she going? She's going and she's gone before. That so was fun. She, she, went, she went like recently or something. Hmm. So, I mean, yeah. And we're all good. It is going to be a lot of fun. Are there roller coasters? Yes. Okay. I, and there's also entertainment, I think. Yeah. I just don't know much about it. I'm not, you know, from the South. But I guess I, I was just imagining, like, what would they do in a place like that if they didn't have roller coasters? How do you keep, like, crowds of people entertained? Old style log cabins keep, like, I think it's a trend in the South. I feel like that's not a good way to entertain. But it is to me in the sense, like, I know, like, four spots back in Nashville and uh, Murfreesboro where they're old log cabins like renovated or whatever to give you an idea of like old southern living. Wait, so there's log cabins in Dollywood? I bet you a million dollars there are. I bet you there are. I'm going to like send you pictures and see if <laughs> Yeah, they're... I would love to see photos regardless <laughs> of what you see. I'd like to see photos. Well, I know there's a reincarnation, is that what you call it, of Dolly's like childhood home there. Uh, a re- a re- replication something yeah which was a log cabin i think made by her family's hands you know one room wow and that's kind of like what i'm talking about like those style of cabins are just like everywhere like as a cultural resource or something Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean vernacular architecture you know it's uh yep i taught brian that word the other day because we were talking about like what makes a place hokey versus not hokey like I was like, Winthrop, I just don't like Winthrop. I think it's so hokey. And I was like, yeah. he was describing things. And I was like, what you're describing is vernacular architecture. And I agree that like really makes a place feel more like genuine. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I could go on and on about yeah, that yeah, stuff. It's a, whole, so. it's a whole thing. But we're not going to. So what's trending with you, Hope? Trending with me is being a girl boss dirtbag, um, which is because... I had my trip before this and spent the week not not negotiating my salary on purpose, but like I got a job offer and then kind of it ended up resulting in me getting a pretty substantial raise at my current job. So I was sort of like girl bossing on accident 
and it was really stressing me out. That was my pre-vacation week was just uh-huh. like being super stressed about that and knowing I had to make a decision before I left. And then I went on this trip with Brian and his friends. They were all on the climbing team at Bellingham where they went to college and Brian wasn't, but he became friends with all of them. So they do this trip every year and it was rugged at times. Like we were eating raw hot dogs in like the parking lot, <laughs> just like along on the drive. Raw? Yeah. That's, it's been a while since you've eaten a raw hot dog. Yeah. I don't know if I ever had. It was, I was the one who started it. I don't know if I ever have. I mean, <laughs> I, I just it. don't know why, why I would. Well, there are like these wieners in a can, okay. which I, I guess is just the same concept, but smaller. I feel like maybe in a can they're smoked or something. Just no, a guess. dude. No? No, they're slimy and nah. They still be smoked, though. I'm romanticizing them for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, I came back and immediately started using my, like, retinoid cream that I just got at the dermatologist and waxed my legs and was like, ah, it's good to be home. Your skin looks amazing. Thank you. Honestly, it's been a rough transition. I've been so irritable the past few days. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, I... I had made this joke to Brian a while ago that, like, I thought I had been so happy the past couple years because of being with him, but I think it might have just been not ever having to leave the house. (laughs) Honestly, I think I just really thrived in the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you think once you left the house, you were like, well, it's like you, like, it's just now we're back to busy schedules. Like, yeah, we had a big Easter thing with his parents on Sunday. Y'all didn't stop. Yeah. You came back and you went, you were going. We were just going, going. Um, and I've been going into the office, but it's all fine. Every time I think about this, I'm like, God, if I had kids, people who actually have to take care of other things besides themselves, I don't know how they do it. I mean, they're not doing well. Let's just, people are out there, they're struggling. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Because capitalism doesn't help with it, right? I mean, like, our government really hates people that have kids, it feels like, even though they want us to have kids. Even though they really, yeah, they really do. (laughs) Yeah. Brian had mold grow in his car because the seat had been down to make room in the trunk for a long time. And when we put the seat up, there was mold. And he was like, do you think I'm disgusting? I was like, no. I mean, or we both both are. I'm not sure. And then my conclusion was like, no, this is why people had a person at home for so long was because like someone's got to clean the mold out of the car. You can't just like work 40 hours anyway. Yeah. No. Yes. Welcome to fascism. We say this every week. (laughs) I think we do every week. We're like, wait, this economy, it hits us too the same way. We're (laughs) like, (laughs) (laughs) like we just found out. We're like, wait, this economy is made for one person at home. That's not getting paid. That's Mm -hmm, the key. mm -hmm. Anyways. So yeah, um, sometimes between our um, intro and our meaty topic, we we have some media haul. But today, I think we're just going straight to the action. Uh, Can we pause it? Sure. I just want to slam down this pizza real quick. Yes. Okay. Jackie's very carefully putting down her water cup. <laughs> we're trying. We're learning. Ultimate sound quality. Today, yeah. <laughs> we're talking about Andre Leon Talley, who died this year, right? Yeah, this year. Wow, it's the beginning of the episode and we're already Googling. <laughs> he died January 18th. Yeah, I was going to say, it was right on the cusp. It was kind of a surprise. It's kind of a shock. Was like, it? yeah. Because uh, he was, the, there was an eviction. I don't know what that was. Sorry, there's a ghost rustling around. That was weird. Before I get into this, though, what did you know about him before you read this book? Nothing. Nothing? Well, we had talked about him. You had told me that he died. 
and we mentioned okay. it in an episode, we talked more about theory Mugler because mm-hmm. you were like, I want to actually read Andre's memoir. So I really didn't know anything. Not even anything on the Met Gala? No. Interesting. Yeah, I knew some things. I knew there was, like, a big black man that wore, like, luxurious, like, what I would call robes yeah. on the red carpet. Didn't know his name. Didn't know he was... I knew he was connected to Vogue in some capacity, but I don't think I knew what his deal was. Because mm-hmm. I'm just not interested in Vogue. Mm-hmm. Really, honestly, especially... I'm still not, even after reading this book. Yeah. I have very little interest in fashion writing. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I am I support fashion writers. I, like, you know, do your damn job. But, like, it just doesn't ever feel interesting of a read for me. Well, especially because it's so focused on runway. Yeah, well, because it's not – what are you ta- – you're, you're explaining the visual of what's happening. Like, I can just well, look at can, it. there could be, like, history and, like, craft and whatnot. And it, some of it is interesting. But I feel like, yeah, like, Vogue – isn't necessarily focused on that, the history or the craft. No, not necessarily. And I just never was interested in even reading it. And I loved reading magazines when I was a kid. It was just not interesting looking. Yeah, I only read the magazines that taught me how to like diet and like please men yeah. in general. Like Cosmo, a hundo. Until, but- I f- until I found Jane magazine, which was like a tragedy of our lifetime when it went out of print. Is Jane a feminist one? It was more on that end, yeah. It was kind of like a cooler girl magazine. Yeah, I, I just Cosmo to the end. Nice. <laughs> it's deeply ingrained. Not that Vogue isn't its own special diet mm-hmm. magazine, because it is, and we'll talk about how Andre suffered greatly from it. But yeah, I also knew that he was getting evicted. I, I remember him dying and hearing more. I was like, oh, that's Andre Leon Talley, and I started to learn more about him. And I, I was like hearing about how he's getting evicted, and so then I read about that and they solved it they figured it out but he was like living in a mansion borrowed by one of his friends they made an agreement and then he thought it was a rent to buy and it wasn't really it was this whole thing and that is why you write down everything you guys you make sure you have everything written in i just understand this was a friend and then they were that's yeah you don't trust rich people yeah dude that's like the literally the moral of this book yeah don't trust rich people and especially if you're like a black man like just don't trust them yeah okay should we get into it yes Okay, this is his memoir. <laughs> this is one of his memoirs. Yeah, he has another one. But this is the Chiffon Trenches. This is the one that... that Ch- chiffon. Chiffon, sorry. There's a lot of names I'm going to mess up. <sighs> Classic fascism. Quick synopsis. Andre Leon Talley is a fashion journalist, and this book covers his career. He, he works at Vogue and a lot of different publications. But it starts with him in Durham, North Carolina, which is where he was born. And he goes to live with his grandma because his parents weren't, didn't feel ready to raise him. Well, it was pretty traditional back then that, I mean, at least like lower to middle class couldn't afford to have a child at home. So mm-hmm. they'd have their parents raise their kid and they'd go off looking for work. Right. So, it seems like he was more so maybe than was customary. He really only lived with his grandma yeah and he called his grandma mama and he talks about his deep love and affection for her and that is one of the i guess cornerstones pillars pillars thank you i made a gesture jacking the air off (laughs) (laughs) i was like help me it was one of the pillars of this book is his love for his grandmother that he called mama 
And yeah, so it starts off, he's like obsessed with Jackie D. Kennedy and really loves Vogue and reads Vogue all the time. And of course, lives in segregated South, Jim Crow South at that time. And he really loved French. He ended up majoring in French for his undergrad degree. And then he wanted to go to Brown for his master's. His mom wanted him to just go to the military, but his grandma, mama, really supported him and encouraged him to go for it. Yeah, and then he started looking for jobs after his master's degree, and he was, like, tutoring people. But then he met some, like, rich, fashionable people. At RISD. Yeah, which is Rhode Island School of Design, right? Yes. You know, nepotism. He somehow landed a job with Diane Veerlands, who is the editor-in-chief. Chief Chief editor? Editor Editor-in-chief. Of Vogue. Oh, she was the editor-in-chief of Vogue at that time. Yes. He was working with her at the Met Museum of Art. Yes. And so one of his first tasks was, like, putting this thing of chain mail back together. She gives him, like, a pile of chain mail, basically, and, like, a thing of pliers. And it's like, okay, like, put this chain mail back together. So he was doing wacky stuff like that. And it seems like at every job, he did a pretty good job, though. It is his memoir. Yeah. (laughs) He might be a little bit biased. Yeah. But she loved it. She encouraged him. I was kind of like... Why don't you just hire him already? Yeah. But she was like, keep going. So he like starved through Christmas and his parents like begged him to come back home. And he was like, no, mom and dad, this yeah. isn't a phase. I'm going to stay. Yeah. I'll prove to you. And he, I mean, he did. He he went through with it. But I, I did feel like, Diane, give him a job. He's hungry. Yeah, dude. Like merciless. I know. But she's like, no, you got to starve a little bit. But your dreams will come true. And I'm like. Yeah, there wasn't a strong sense of like, could they just not hire him? I mean, I guess. That's just not how the world works. I feel like people would rather see you starve for your dream. I don't know. It's just like, it's hard to get a job. Mm-hmm. But I just like don't believe if he was a white rich man, he would have already had that job. Like Diane would have been like, oh, there's already a position for you. Yeah. If he like, yeah, knew more people and yada, yada. I don't even know if he needed more people. I think it's like he had to prove his worth versus being like justified in the eyes of like if nepotism helps because people can vouch for you. Right. You So you think that there probably was a job because she was so impressed by him and she helped him get a job somewhere else. Yeah, eventually. Yeah. Did she help him get his his job at Andy Warhol? With Andy Warhol. Yeah. Which was Interview. Yes. Which so, is a magazine. <laughs> Yes, I love this. This is like, so what is it? Interview is still a magazine. It's still a pretty popular magazine, and that's where people just do regular interviews. They, there's a lot of celebrities interviewing celebrities now. Mm. That's the do context. You read it? I have read it to under like to read about celebrities interviewing celebrities. I forgot what the one I read recently, but I was like, oh, interview is still kicking. Um, but it's got uh, Fran Lebowitz. That was one of the writers mm. from that. Mm-hmm. She hated Andy. But anyways, he kind of mentions her passing way in the thing. But that's how they would know each other is because they were right. both at the same place at the There's same time. There's a lot of name dropping in here. And it's so like. So much. You really. And he does like reintroduce characters sometimes, which I appreciated. But yeah, a lot of names. Uh, a lot of famous people. Yeah. The focus is Diane Veerland. I mean, like, I'm annoyed with her because she didn't hire him off right off the bat, but she sounds iconic. What, like a wonderful woman. Yeah. And, and so inspiring to so many people. Yeah. And wacky a little bit, which I love. Mm-hmm. Like, her style. Her, yeah, yeah. Very maximalist. Yeah. And when she was uh, editor-in-chief of Vogue, the covers of the magazine, it was like, it was very 60s influenced, but it was just like fun, colorful, crazy. And then when... 
Grace Mirabella, is that her name? Yeah. Uh, took over. It was like not fun. Right, right. I think he described her as wearing like hand cashmere every day. So after the Met, he's at Andy Warhol's studio, the factory, and becomes friends with him. I'm reading up Jackie's notes now because I didn't take any notes for chapter two. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I wrote, welcome Andy Warhol, and who is an asexual but like to make porn. Early on, we hear that Andre's like, I didn't really get involved with that stuff. And that's a theme throughout is that he's very repressed, which I think kind of saves him in a few different ways. Unfortunately, saves him. Yeah. I, I hate that repression is protective for a reason. Well, I feel like in his case in particular, because yeah, well, he was so at risk of being, like he already had salacious rumors being told about him. Right. That's just That's a little a- teaser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like Carl um, and An- Andre meet, Carl Langfeld and Andre meet. Ca- because Carl Lagerfeld. Who is, is, that, is that how you say it? Lagerfeld? Lagerfeld? I don't know. <laughs> who cares? I'm, Honestly, I'm I hate it him. Phonetically. You're probably right because he is German. That sounds more right. Lagerfeld. Um, yeah. That was Irish. They call him? <laughs> it certainly was. They also called him Kaiser. Kaiser Carl. Uh, and I was like, like, Kaiser Permanente? <laughs> but then I realized that's a German name. Ka- Kaiser, isn't that like a leader? Like, or like Yeah. But I'm like, why do we have the name Kaiser as our fucking healthcare? Very weird. It's very foretelling, though, that he becomes besties with Carl. And then he mentions, like, how he's besties with Carl for, like, 30 years until he wasn't. Mm. That's how he introduces it, and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, there's some heavy foreshadowing. The drama. I already don't like Carl. Like, before starting this book, or just from that chapter? Just from that chapter. I was like, he sounds pretentious. I mean, Andre kind of sounds pretentious. Yeah, that's the thing. When, like, yeah, when he describes all these people that he's hanging out with, you're like, you must have been kind of snobby. I mean, he was just smart. And he liked, yeah, yeah, he liked the finer things. I mean, part of being a snob is that you genuinely love bougie shit. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And you're just, like, into it. But, like, I feel like Andre, he comes from humble beginnings, humble means. Like, there's a genuineness in his interest. And I feel like Carl, it's all about power and gain. The reason he's interested in these things is because it's, like, you have to just to maintain your status in this wealthy yeah. aesthetic. Yeah, he's a nightmare. I mean, truly. And he comes from a rich family. Like, he is a rich German family, which I don't know. And that, like, yeah. So Jacques, his boyfriend at the time, also came from a rich mm-hmm. French I mean, family. Yeah, just buckle up because... So many rich people. Most of the people. It's like, that's the industry. Yeah, which... Which, is, which sucks. It sucks balls. Because it's, again, like, we talk about how fashion... Is you're wearing your class. Right. Constantly. That is all really fashion is, is to showcase your your class status. Your class, your, like, politics, what subculture you prescribe to, which, yeah, I mean, all of that's embedded in class. Yeah, and when you're high fashion, that means you have the ability not to work fully in ways that will make you dirty or ruin your clothes or you don't even really have to sit that much. You can just stand and be a pretty doll. Right. I mean, like, all of fancy footwear is, like, stuff you can't really walk in. Exactly. But anyway, so, like, he becomes friends with all of these people, and one thing that he says is that, like, his southern manners, he thinks, made people like him. He, I mean, obviously, he was super smart. He spoke French. He could keep up in these conversations with people, and then also he had these, like, really charming, humble manners And he says that he thinks that people liked that. And so early on, we see that he makes friends with people that you wouldn't expect someone who is new to that world to become friends with. And they feel like genuine friendships sometimes. 
kind of. Honestly, this whole book depresses the shit out of me. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so later he meets John Fairchild, who is also another nightmare. Nightmare. Yeah, I kind of forget who he is. He is the owner of WWD, which I'm always like, I read it because I'm looking at what would Jesus do? JD is, yeah, women's wear daily. (laughs) And W, and we all know what W is now. I don't know what it stands for. Oh, is that what W came from? I mean, no, but he he owns W and WWD. Okay. But he got it, inherited it from his father. Uh Uh-huh. So... Make that of what you will. Yeah. He says, I'm the boss. Don't ever forget it. I don't give a damn about the clothes. I care about the people that wear them. And he loved to start shit. That's really funny because I read that quote so differently. I read it as like, I don't give a damn about clothes. I, I care about the people that wear them as like, that was more of a positive thing. <laughs> In what way? He didn't do anything positive. I was thinking that from Andre's perspective that, Oh, okay, that's hilarious. Here, okay. While he could be intimidating and threatening, I still had so much respect for him. He taught me how to analyze the beat of fashion and the rhythms of the high rollers, the social doers, and the achievers of the fashion battlefield. I don't give a damn about clothes. I care about the people who wear them, was a phrase he oft repeated. From him, I learned how to embrace what was going on around me in 360 degrees. What makes a beautiful dress? Hems, seams, the way it's put together, the ruffles. How's the ruffle? How's the bow tie? What's the combination of colors? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah... I don't know. He, I read it as in like, like you come to me. I'm, I'm the main person here and what goes is what goes. And he, if you looked at him wrong, he would put you on like worse dress list. Mm-hmm. He was just very horrific to people he didn't like and yeah. he would taunt them till the day they died. Right. Yeah. But Andre's intent with that specific quote was more like looking back with it, he would. He didn't mean it negatively. Maybe not. I I hear what you're saying. He's like, well, blah blah blah. Like he's teaching. He him. was saying that he taught him a lot. So. Yeah, that's fair. I I think this also showcased how intertwined media and fashion have always been. It's just like the elite few that have opinions on things. And John Fairchild was the be all. Like everything came through him. He determined a lot of fashionable trends yeah. and whatnot. Look into John Fairchild if you want, you guys. There's a lot of shit. He was a horrific human being, is all I'm going to say to that. Yeah. But he did give Andre Lee and Tally a job, mm-hmm. which is amazing. He was one of the few black fashion journalists at that time. Yeah. So he talks about, like, at this time, he would go report on parties, but he'd be, like, standing outside the party. And eventually he starts getting invited into the parties. And he says, everyone does is doing coke. I think you wrote... Coke and cock ruled the party scene. That's a quote within the thing. Coke yeah, and cock. I, I remember that. And he doesn't really partake that much. He kind of like will do a line of coke to be polite. But again, like he has a lot of restraint. But he does love Studio 54. And it sounds like so much fun. Like there's a photo in the book of him dancing with Diana Ross. That's where he like lets loose. He says everyone dances with everyone. And it sounds like such a good time. Yeah, he really felt encouraged at this time. Like Fairchild, even though he's an awful human piece of shit, like saw something in him that Virlin also saw in him. And he just felt like he was believed in by all these people. And the scene was a hype. It was fun. But the lack of intimacy that he had as a child, also trigger warning, he does experience sexual abuse as a child that created an overwhelming feeling for him of the gay scene. Like he just couldn't, like it was so prominent. People were like sucking dick and left and right. He just never felt comfortable enough because of the, the trauma that he endured and also the lack of intimacy that occurred in his childhood. 
He said yeah. his grandma only hugged him like twice. So. Yeah, and, it, and so he introduces this early on and you kind of see it affect him throughout. And it's like, he makes it sound like he's an absolute nun. Like, and he tells one story about hopping in bed with someone and they're in bed together and he just kind of like freezes and they had a really good date, but he just can't do it. So it's like, Part of you goes the whole book being like, does he ever have sex? Which I think he probably... I don't think he did. I feel like he has to guard his reputation so much. Not that there's anything wrong with having sex. But like, he seems so guarded. Because he had all these rumors spread around him that he was like fucking every fashion designer. But yeah, maybe not. He never dates. Like, he never has a relationship. And he does talk about some guy who he spends a week with and they just sleep next to each other in bed. But yeah, he has like a few crushes here and there. It really hurts my soul that... He never really had, like, a long relationship or, like, a, a deep relationship. Yeah. Carl Lagerfeld or whatever was, like, his longest, most meaningful relationship. And I just feel like he deserved better, you know? For sure. This is a quote that I think is really funny. Mr. Fairchild fueled his viciousness with the details of the parties his editors had mm. gone to from the previous evening. I once told him Maxim de la Flacie, a French high society transplant, had complained that Oscar and... Francesco de la Rente, <laughs> woo, Shishitsu's, had remarkably bad breath. So he's, so the gossip is that these dogs had bad breath at a party. Yeah, and so Mr. Fairchild immediately went to his desk and phoned Oscar de la Rente to share what he had told him. Yeah, dude. Could you imagine dating someone like that? Definitely not. Right! Oh, and then at this time, he's talking about his friendship with Carl blossoming, and he receives handwritten letters from Carl every day. Like, I mean, Carl's mean, but... He does write him letters. <laughs> well, this is also a society of manners and politeness. He's always talking about handwritten notes. He fucking loves a handwritten note. I mean, and so do these people. They're always writing back. I'm like, again, all they're doing is buying flowers for each other and writing out thank you notes for whatever and lounging in their beautiful clothes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Honestly, writing a thank you note does take hours. So I will give them that. <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> so his next gig is that he moves to Paris to replace the Women's Wear Daily editor there. I think someone stepped down and he was like, hey, that seems like it should be my job. I speak French, obviously. So he gets to do that. And while he's there, like him and Carl are just two fucking peas in a pod. I like, can't, yeah. They talk every morning on the phone before they leave the house. He's also close to a woman named Betty Cottreau. She's one of these, like, androgynous fashion icons of the time. He talks about Marlene Dietrich, Catherine Hepburn, Betty Cottreau as being these androgynous fashion icons. Her look could be interpreted as somewhat, quote-unquote, butch. He credits Marlene Dietrich and Catherine Hepburn, but with Betty, it existed spiritually and satorically. Did you, um, did you look up photos of her? Yeah, of course I did. Did you? Did, did she seem butch to you? No, she looks like she's like, like gorgeous. I know, and not that butch isn't gorgeous. Butch is its own kind of gorgeous. She's classically feminine. She's like commercially, thin. yeah. Like she just wears pants, you know. Right. <laughs> like that's with Marlene Dietrich too. Like a Catherine Hepburn. I'm like androgynous. You mean wears pants? Right, right. Like there was one photo, this photo of her that I was like, love this it. one where she's wearing a skirt and high boots. High boots, love it. But Betty's best friends with Yves Saint Laurent. Ibez. Ibez. Ibez Saint Laurent. Saint Laurent. Yeah. Please help us. God forbid. Yeah. We really need a French co-host. 
So Yves and Carl hate each other, apparently. I kept getting confused about this drama. Like, why? Oh, because I, I Googled it. Because I was like, he doesn't actually talk about why. Okay, like, that wasn't just me. No, it was kind of confusing because I was just like, what the fuck? But apparently it was over Jacquees. Carl's okay. lover. I'm like, what does this guy's dick have? Like, So Yves or Yves like, also hit that? He wanted to at least. I don't know what Jacquees' Jack deal was. It was the 70s, you know. I'm sure that they might have hooked up and like then went with Carl. But Carl, apparently I was reading Carl and Jacquees. I think Jacquees was just kind of like a trophy boyfriend. Is this, is this name Jacques? Probably. <laughs> I think it might be too <laughs> Oh, God. We'll call him Jackie J. <laughs> oh, that's your name. We'll call him Carl's Big J. Carl's Big J, yeah. Anyways, that was just the drama. And that's where it started. And, of course, they kind of nitpicked after that. And then it was like a few people got to be friends with both. Like, I think Betty, Betty was friends with both, but, like, you kind of had to pick sides. They wouldn't be at the same events together. It was just some real again crybaby shit. Yeah, I mean, if I had to deal with friends like that, I'd be like, I'm right? out. Like, I am out. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm also like, this is kind of a part of the book where I'm like, so Andre, are we actually gonna learn more about you or learn more about Carl? Well, he's a journalist. You know, it's it's very much written. Yeah. Like a journalist. Also, like, he lived through the eyes of a lot of people. Like, he lived vicariously through a lot of these designers as well. So that is what comes up. I do like that he often says what he's wearing. And a lot at this time, he talks about being, like, tall and thin, because he was then. Um, And he would wear shorts with, like, tall socks. It was, like, in the beginning, you know, he didn't have a big wardrobe, but he was really good at, like, making a statement with what he had. So, like, that was his look, the tall socks. With the shorts, and then people start giving him some clothes that he incorporates, and Carl so, does mostly. Carl, like. yeah, and so uh, he's looking good on a dime. Yeah, and I love that for him. I'm mm-hmm. like, where? Okay, that is a plus. Where I'm like, okay, I do want to know some rich people just to give me their clothes. Mm-hmm. That is something that I wouldn't mind. Okay, I do want to mention YSL in 1978 came out with a couture collection while he was still a French editor out in France. Where else would you be a French editor? uh, While Andre was there, yeah. Yeah, I'm reporting. And this collection came out and it was like these like pinstripe suits of like Harlem, but it was inspired by Porgy and Bess, which is a like Harlem-based opera, black opera. Oh, wow. So, and he had like black um, models and... He was just super stoked about this. And he has Anne Piaggi. Sounds like an icon. The first black model was put on Vogue because of Anne. And Anne Piaggi was Carl's close friend and muse at some point. So this is when also Anne comes into the picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she was a special fashion editor in Italy. And he said that she had a museum-like curatorial approach to her fashion collection. She would mix a McDonald's apron with a, a Lanvin gown from the 1920s. One time she arrived at Les Palos, a gay disco with a whole basket of dead pigeons on her head. And like by midnight, they were very stinky, obviously. But yeah, she, she was amused to designers because she had very inspiring style. Yeah, and so that collection that you mentioned in 1978, that show featured only black models. So he said, Andre was saying at the time, Black girls ruled the runway. Their blackness was appreciated and celebrated. But then YSL does a show featuring only black models. No, Gavinci does one with all black models. So it says, 
Imagine my shock sitting on the front row seeing this powerful statement from Givenchy, Givenchy. There was not one white girl. This was a rarity, and surely it was news. I went right back to my office, typed out a loving embrace of Givenchy on the telex machine, LOL, straight from the top of my head to New York. What was I there for if not to embrace the such pioneering moments in fashion? If I didn't write about its importance, no one else would. I wrote, Givenchy had a knock-dead combine of models, most of them imported directly from the States. Blah, blah, blah. He names all these wonderful ladies. And then it was quite activist at the time. No overt celebration of blackness. I embraced Givenchy, not just because he had all black models wearing his clothes, but because he was smart enough to realize these models gave the clothes new attitude. And then soon after my write-up of Givenchy, rumors came back to me that someone at the house of YSL was going around saying I was stealing Yves original sketches mm. and handing them to Givenchy for money. But it's just because there's black models and he's black. Right. Right. And he says like that, it, like his review of the show, he calls it like quiet activism where he doesn't explicitly say like it was so great that the show had all black models. He just says like these models, they were also amazing. You know, like he feels like he has to like almost be like undercover and he's calling things out, you know, in a way that feels safe for him. I mean, he also speaks on how Paris loves black culture, mm. but of course they pirated a lot of things from black culture as well. Mm-hmm. And Battle of Versailles did introduce American black models to Paris, and this is why there was such a surge in the 70s, early 70s, mm. of these black models being present huh. in Paris, and Paris culture. Wait, they got there how? Battle of Versailles was like America uh, designers versus Paris designers. And they and why were there black models in those shows? Because American designers brought black models with them. Okay, so it was like more common in the U.S. to have black models than in yeah. Paris. Yeah, at the time. I mean, I guess because there's just like, you know, we're a melting pot. Someone said we're not a melting pot; we're a salad bowl. Sure. Okay, so then he he gets accused of stealing the sketches, and he sa- he says a black man is always getting accused of something egregious. Yeah, it's a bummer. It's a total bummer, because what happens is he's accused basically of stealing the sketches, and it's pretty much the racism that he was kind of always waiting for to happen. He was just, like, looking over his shoulder, kind of always being like, you know, black men are always going to be accused of some kind of crime one way or another but he kind of brushed it off like whatever and he claims he didn't have the the time back then to understand his plight as a black man instead he just internalized a lot of pain Mm. which a lot of black people do still to this day it's Mm. like you don't really have time to understand and reflect and michael cody who was second to john fairchild came to a meeting in france and accused him in front of everybody of sleeping with designers Apparently because St. Lawrence or Pierre or whatever, like Yves, like partner, was like whispering in John Fairchild's ear about how he was stealing sketches, about how Andre was stealing sketches. And they were like, you need to get him to like quietly go away or, or quit. And they knew Michael Cody knew this would embarrass him because it was in mm-hmm. front of everybody. Mm-hmm. So he withdrew and then sent in his resignation. Right. right. So at the time, yeah, he didn't know that Mr. Fairchild had rigged the whole thing. Um, but he says that the accusation was stunning and it's racism and it had so many levels of hurt, insult and pain. Michael Cody was a very important person and had always supported me. Now here he was insinuating I was just a big black buck sent to satisfy the sexual needs of designers, be they men or women. I had no talent, no point of view or knowledge of fashion. And worst of all, he made the accusations in front of the staff at WWD. Yeah. How rude. 
Yeah. I mean, like, my coworkers and I talk about being sluts and, like, share things all the time. Different, yeah. Completely different versus a boss coming in being like, you need to stop sleeping with people. First off, none of your fucking business. Well, yeah, he's insinuating that that's how... He got any of the job. He's getting a success, and it's, yeah, horrible. And so Andre leaves the office and goes to a church. He's a churchgoer, and that's something that continues to be important for him throughout the book, and he just, like, sits in a pew, meditates. He lights three candles, one for his grandmother, one for Mrs. Vreeland, and one for his plight as a black man in a white world. I thought that was so beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, Yeah, and then he leaves the job. He just, like, walks out not really knowing... What he's going to do, uh, Carl pays for his ticket back to New York, and he's just, like, figuring it out. Yeah, I'm trying to understand the heaviness of being, like, the only black man in this setting and, like, how vulnerable you are to mm-hmm. all this shit. Yeah. Also, it's just already so dramatic. Ugh, God. Anyways. Yeah. Now Carl becomes head of Chanel, which, ew. Chanel's probably my least favorite. I mean, Coco Chanel herself was a Nazi, mm-hmm. so we all hate her. She's canceled. But... Also, Chanel in general, like, there's a TikTok going around now about, like, cancel the Chanel contracts because it's, Mm. like, so many of the actresses are in these binding Chanel contracts and... Where they can only wear Chanel? Yeah, or on the red carpet and they're all, like, so boring and atrocious that they're, like, release them from this fashion prison. Yeah, I read some some fashion substacks and uh, one of them is always talking about Kristen Stewart, yeah, is trapped in a Chanel wormhole uh-huh. right now and it's like just not working for her i mean why does she have that contract i know and like i think the oscars recently when she came out on the oscars and was wearing that coat that like the coat had wrinkles in it mm. i was like you, can you not like get it pressed like you're rich enough what is chanel doing like yeah um, i mean maybe it's like really wrinkle prone like it got wrinkled in the car ride you you on the way out, you're too rich not to let this have an extension cord to something. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. or just a battery, like. <laughs> I love that it's like, a, <laughs> you're, you with the cordless stuff, you're like, I know that this technology exists. There's no excuse for her coat looking like that for the 15 minutes that they have mm-hmm. to take pictures. Yeah, so Carl, that's Carl's empire for you, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Well, he, he was also the first non-fringe person to take over, and it was like on its deathbed, and when Carl took over, it had another life. Are you skipping chapter five? Yes, I certainly am. Chapter five is when he starts working for Ebony. Oh, yeah, which is important. Good, good, good. I just didn't write it out. So, yeah, he, he like... I mean, a lot of times he talks about these things and he's like, makes it sound like it all happened so fast. So he like goes back to New York. He feels adrift. And Diana Vreeland is reaching out to people on his behalf. And he gets a meeting with the Johnsons, who are Miss Eunice Johnson of Ebony Magazine and her husband, Mr. John Johnson. And they co-founded Johnson Publishing Company which printed Jet and Ebony in 1942. And he says, Ebony was the black community's answer to the Weekly Life magazine. Eunice also created and orchestrated the Ebony Fashion Fair, a traveling charity fashion show presenting the best of high fashion and style to the black women of America, as well as the Fashion Fair Cosmetics, its offspring, and a financial windfall. I think I was just listening to a podcast about Fashion Fair Cosmetics. Um... I have no idea what that is. I think it was a makeup brand for black women. They were like the first ones to do it. And then they like didn't really do much with it after. Like they kind of relied on brand loyalty. I think that's what he means when he says that it was a financial windfall. Um, he says, my, my family did not read WWD at all. 
nor would they have even known where to purchase that publication. But they all subscribed to and read Ebony. So he was like, finally, I have a job that would make my cousins and my family proud. Like, yeah. They're all stoked on Ebony. Yeah, they know what Ebony is. Do you think of WWD? I think it's the same magazine that our landscape architects or historian talked about and it being a provider of landscape design of like the lawn really i'm pretty sure no maybe that was home and gardens which comes up later all the magazine names come up yeah i would think it would be home and garden i think it's home and gardens but yeah all these magazines are just kind of interesting because it is mostly all these magazines all they do is push white supremacy in this weird way in this way that we don't even realize and wwd is like part of that push of exquisiteness of hierarchy through like this is how like white people live home and gardens like that too Vogue is like that but our teacher talked to us about how home and garden pushed like the concept of a lawn right yeah they definitely steered trends in like outdoor living and well like owning a home and like having a private backyard was mm-hmm. like an aesthetic that mm-hmm. was like you would really want it i mean which i get wanting because mm-hmm. now i've been so- i've been sold and i'm eating it up mm-hmm. i want Nothing else but a gated backyard with barbecue. Yeah, I was literally drawing out, like, my garden plan today on my future yard that doesn't exist right now. (laughs) Yeah, but they were selling, like, grass. Right, right, right. Okay, but anyway, so this is (laughs) Ebony. And, like, I don't know much about this magazine. And we, we went to the Seattle Art Museum this past weekend, and there was an art piece in it that was based on a photo that was in Ebony of Martin Luther King, but showing him, like, having fun, showing black people having fun, and it was talking about how you never see black people, like, getting to, like, enjoy pools and stuff like that. But anyway, so this magazine is important. I look forward to learning more about it. He works with them for a year, and, you know, they treat him like family. They go on business trips, and they book him on, like, the same hotel floor as them so that they can, like, check up on him, which I was like, okay. I know. I was, like, not into that. Not into that, but then he's only there a year, and then they're like, sorry, dude, you're too expensive for our payroll. Which I'm like, how much was he asking for? It says that they paid him, they matched what he was making at WWD. Whoa. But then he also talks about how at that magazine, they there's tons of expenses. They're flying all over the place. Like, she spares no expense yeah. for stuff. So it's kind of like, maybe they could uh, <laughs> rearrange things a little bit. <laughs> yeah, she fired him, too. Yeah. She didn't, he didn't quit. He was like kind of booted so yeah. interesting but yeah he was there for a year this chapter did feel a little bit like the episode where you the character goes off and like does something kind of different in a yeah or it's one of the shorter chapters for sure but hey we love a short chapter this is one of like two books i've read this year so yeah anyways carl becomes head of chanel this is what happens this is what happens and he flew andre out and he got to sit front row uh, at his chanel runway and a culture that I think still exists now is you cannot clap. You cannot clap. If you fucking clap. So annoying. Yeah, it's like golf. Mm. But cooler? Yeah, <laughs> definitely better than golf. But I get Like barely, though. Yeah. You're not supposed to show any kind of emotion. That's like, at least not in the front row, it sounds like. I think it's changed now. I think people are allowed to be. Yeah. Except for Anna Wintar, who's stone cold. Stone cold. I'm sometimes I'm like, she wears sunglasses, that hair, you can't see it anyways. Yeah, but he couldn't help but clap because, you know, his buddy Carl did such a marvelous job. And this this kind of stuff gets me emotional because I'm just like, Andre, who's clapping for you? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because I just feel like he's always supportive of his buddies. Why people are so stuck up is something I wrote up. Great note, great note. <laughs> they are. I'm just like, why do you have to turn something that's fun, potentially really fucking fun, 
into such a serious affair. Mm-hmm. We always managed to do that. Even with basketball, basketball used to be like very serious and they weren't allowed three pointers or dunks were not allowed. What? But then there was like a black league. That was like, no, we're going to make this fun and we're going to like vote on it and like have a little fun with it. And people saw that as a a potential like media buy-in. So like the NAACP, nope. NBA. The NBA was like, oh, you know what? We can make a lot of money by making it a little bit more fun. So that's when they added it. But like originally the white people were like, no, we could never, that's, that's just too cheesy and corny. Yeah, I do. That sucks. Yeah, I feel, you always talk about how bad our happy birthday song is. I feel like it's just an emblem of how we just try to ruin everything. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, every, like, black birthday I've been to, I, I remember the first time I went to, It's really rich people, like, because I feel like there are aspects of white culture that are... That's fair. ...fun. You know, you know, we've all seen Titanic. They were getting down <laughs> to the bottom of that boat. <laughs> no, that's a very good example. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no. Oh, like, yeah, for the birthday song, like, I went to a birthday party where I was, like, the only white person there, and they sung Stevie Wonder's happy birthday song, and I was just like, what the fuck have we been doing this whole time? <laughs> like, everybody, they were clapping, they were, like getting down it's like something people enjoy yeah literally everyone hates when everybody sings happy birthday white people version the color goes out of your eyes it's just a mix of like dutiful shame yeah that we do it every year why yeah and it's just like no one's smiling it's so sad okay this is an example of that you can't clap at a runway so during this time he says i interviewed twice at vogue first time he goes there someone's like hey you're brilliant but if you want to work at vogue you're gonna have to go downstairs and convince grace mirabella he says grace was quote all beige and cashmere very subdued um she we hate her because of it yeah she had been diana breland's assistant but she was the opposite of mrs breland in almost every way um and he's like basically i was just given an impossible task to go convince this chick to let me work at vogue he goes down there and he's like hello can i work there she says i remember you from paris you're with marion mcavoy sitting in the front row at claude montana madly applauding the collection on the runway and then I saw you at Theory Mugler clapping loudly. Why is that? Like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, he didn't get the job because at that time. He, he clapped too loudly. It's just. Well, she thought he was cheesy. Yeah. Because they're all about being cool. And he does, I think, kind of like get into that at some point later. Not to say that he stops clapping at shows ever, but um, don't worry, guys. He eventually gets the job. Two years later, she calls him after seeing an interview he did with Carl. Um, and he gets hired as a fashion editor at Vogue. His friendship with Carl, I mean, obviously he's a good interviewer and it's not just because it's Carl, but it's like his, that friendship does help his career. Oh yeah. I mean, a career that hated him for existing. So is it a curse? I don't know. He did seem to have a great life in a lot of ways, Yeah. But I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, I just feel like, like I said, this book is really sad because it's just like, he deserved more in a lot of ways. So I'm like. Thanks, Carl, for giving him the opportunities. But also, like, so sad that he was treated the way he was treated. Anyways, this is where he meets the iconic, the very scary, I would say. If you've heard of Devil Wears Prada, you would know what I'm talking about. Anna Wintour. Yeah, and so the day he gets hired at Vogue, he passes by her in the hall. And he, like, you know, obviously knows who she is. And then he gets home and there's waiting for him a handwritten note from her that's like, another one. so happy like that you're joining the team or whatever. And he is like pumped about this. He's like, immediately we're friends. And they kind of are like, 
he, she's really on his side. They become work buddies. Like they work really well together. But then they become friend, kind of, kind of, sorta friends outside of she. He's the only one that's invited to her wedding. Um, uh-huh. Besides, like one, one of her person, and it's a forty-person wedding. Yeah, and like, I don't know if this is later on where he talks about it, but it's just like one table was full of like the family, like the wedding's family, and all of Anna's ex-boyfriends. <laughs> and Andre was like, I guess it's a British custom, like, because they, they flew out from England to New York City. Right. That is bizarre. I also, her wedding was like in the middle of the week, in the middle of the day. Yeah, because like, it's weird. She's bizarre. She's a bizarre woman that he talks about how she doesn't have room for like actual kindness later on in the book. But he's like, but she is a great mom. And I'm like, are you just saying that because you don't want to discount her? Or is it just like it like I'm not going to believe it until we hear from the kids until they're well grown and they like. Good point. So that really is the only like as he's writing about the two characters he has fallings out with. He does. He is able to access a place of like love and joy and like good memories with them you know yeah but yeah by the end he's like yeah i mean i guess she's an okay mom yeah i mean he says that she's a wonderful mom horrible human pretty much right right and you're like okay look i said is anna a capricorn looked it up no she is not she's a scorpio if y'all were wondering (laughs) because i was just like she's acting like a ceo psycho Mm. and i was like aka capricorn Mm. but i don't know we're not that we are that, but we're not that, obviously. We're not Scorpio. I don't know what that means, which I always thought meant good and bad. Could you imagine Anna Wintour in bed? No. I don't think... I don't think she has sex. She had two kids, though, so... I mean... She's a sexless being, you know? She do, She seems like a loveless being, for sure. There you go. Yeah, so he is at Vogue. Yay. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Anna yeah, this was goes, a big... This was There's a, big... a lot of, like, things are moving. Anna's, like, doing this girl boss tour where she, like, goes from, like, magazine to magazine switching jobs so that she can eventually be editor-in-chief of Vogue. And she takes Andre with her. Yeah, well, to, I think, British Vogue. No. Well, he says no but to British Vogue. It, then she goes to... She's the editor-in-chief at Home and Gardens, which I just did a whole rant on. And he goes there with her. And I was like remember as being important for selling the American ideal, aka individualism and nuclear family. That's what I was just like from Home and Garden. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a trail to gun for Grace Marbella's position, which I'm like, how does that work like that? Yeah. I don't know. So you just got to get a couple jobs everywhere else. And then like, because this is what happened. Grace Marbella doesn't find out she is being replaced She's, like, the last one to find out. She finds out by the news, which is always a trope that I hear about people, like, breaking up mm-hmm. or finding their jobs or whatever they're, like, mm-hmm. listening to on the news. I've never had that experience, and I probably never will have that experience because I'll never be that famous. But to find out you're being replaced. Yeah, it's catty as fuck. I mean, it's brutal out there. Just, like, hey, Tom, guess what? Grace Rebella is, like, like she's Dude, listening you to the news what? and it's shock jockey style. That kind of did happen to me, but the reverse. Wait, what happened? Like... I worked at this small organic skincare company in Berkeley and like our boss was like, we were all friends, but she would like, she was kind of narcissistic and like, she was weird the way she ran things. She had like a... An was ass- she Gwyneth Paltrow? <laughs> she was very thin and <laughs> ate like mostly green juice, but like there was someone running the blog and like I was doing customer support and then I like 
wrote some articles for the blog and they basically like wanted me to replace her. So like one day they were like, hey. They wanted you to replace. So they were like, can we, can you guys switch offices? And she was like, oh, I think I know what's happening. And then they just like started having her do like, quote unquote, more customer support. And then that was it. Whoa. It was weird. This is what, this is white people. And like people without HR departments. It's like, that's it. But I'm also like, just have one hard conversation, you guys. Emotional intelligence goes really. No, they were so weird. They were so weird. Like you got to have those tough conversations. It was like having a narcissistic mom that was also trying to be your best friend. Like anything that would go down, she'd be like, help, can you come to my office? Okay, Aubrey said that you told her this. Did you say this? It was like so toxic. Ew. But also like they had kombucha on tap. You know what I mean? It was like real, real. Dude. Perks or everything. If they had IPA, I'd be like, why the fuck are you there? But if they have kombucha, I'd be like, listen. You can drink that shit all day. Yeah, I'm basic fat bitch. I'll be whatever. Whatever you want me to be out for the the kombucha. Like multiple flavors. (laughs) But that's insane. And but that, that gives you a sense of like like what Andre's having to deal with too. Anna mm. Wintar never talks about shit. Yeah, so like he would do these shoots and then you send her the photos and she just edits that from there, doesn't like talk to you about it and then they either like get in the magazine or they don't, but she never tells you why. Why? Or if they're going to be in like he'll call someone other than Anna and be like, "Hey, are my photos in?" and they'll be like, "No." Yeah, and so Grace was just replaced by Anna. Again, like how Like, he doesn't tell you the details, but I'm just like, did she talk to somebody about, like, what is the behind the scenes going on here? It would make such a good movie. I mean, I know The Devil Wears Prada is a thing, but there's so many facets of this that would make a good movie. He also talks about how she has, like, really short meetings, like, meetings last 15 minutes, and that one time they go for, like, a lunch meeting. This It sounds like it happened multiple times, but he talks about the first time it happens, they sit down for lunch, they order... They, like, have a really quick meeting, and then they just, like, leave without getting the food. Yeah, which would infuriate me. Yeah. Infuriate. I'd be like, we ordered food. Yeah. I'm psycho, eating. Psycho stuff. Who does that? Mm-hmm. That's People a- who are skinny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people that, like, don't care about food, but, like, the audacity to order food and yeah. then psycho. leave. Can I also talk about when he does a shoot? It's really quick. When he, he Of does, course. He does a shoot with Madonna. It's her first... Oh, yeah. It's Madonna's first Vogue cover. And when she introduced herself, she asked him if he wanted a blowjob, like to break the ice. <laughs> just sounds so awkward. I loved it. But I also was just like, you're funnier than that. Do an impression of Madonna introducing herself. and Hi, I'm Madonna. <laughs> you want a blowjob? Oh, my God. Was that good? I feel like I know. I don't really it. know what Madonna sounds like. Is she British? No, but she had a, like a couple years where she was like suddenly sounding British. Okay. And everybody was like. Madonna. Okay, we cool. know you're not British. Yeah, that wasn't from out of nowhere. Great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, one other thing. Grace Coddington is hired during this transition and is an iconic Vogue editor. Um, crazy red hair. Marvelous. I don't know any of her things, but I just love her hair and her style. Um, and he also talks about how the devil wears Prada is inaccurate because she would never throw down her bags like that or coats. And girls don't run up and down the halls in high heels. They just don't. Like they're okay? not wearing heels or they're not running? I don't think they're just like, it's not bustling. I think everybody's kind of like stationary. and Because she's English. No one's supposed to move or make sounds. I just found a quote I, I highlighted. One didn't talk during the show. The front row was a phalanx of silent sphinxes and rigidity. Mm. 
Yes. I mean, he's a much better writer than us talking, but... What did you think of his writing style, by the way? I liked it. I mean, I like any book that's easy to read. It was easy or to like, read. Yeah. I like when I like to read a book. Yeah, it wasn't hard to read. I also felt like I was flying through it. Yeah, I thought the way he jumped around made sense to me, even though he did jump around. It was nice, because like, I think if he would have just gone strictly chronologically not that he jumped around but like he'll kind of switch subjects sometimes but it kept things moving okay so anna hires andre to be an editor at vogue and this is a big deal for him like he's the he wasn't an editor kind of raised right (laughs) oh he becomes a creative director okay yeah she's editor-in-chief he becomes creative director thank you I was like, something happened. Yeah, making him the highest ranking black man in the history of fashion journalism. Yes. And because of this, this gives him an opportunity with Pierre Barge, uh, is partner that sucked and told Fairchild that Andre was stealing YSL sketches. Now that he was like a high ranking Vogue member, he, he asked Andre if he could actually write Eve's autobiography, which I'm like, how is that turnaround? I know. That's the thing with these people is like, they have so much power that they have no shame being horrible to you and then coming back and being like, well, do you want to do this thing? Yeah, I don't know. when. I think it was like late 80s, so it was like maybe 10 years later. Mm-hmm. When So like it was a good so, 10 years after the situation. And people have well, – I wrote down like, – Princess Caroline said people have uh, – Princess Caroline from um, the show uh, Jack or Horseman. Wait, Bojack Horseman? Yeah, I don't know why I couldn't remember. Bojack Horseman? Wait, what do you mean from that show? From the animated show? Yeah, Princess Caroline says this thing about... She does the voiceover? Or that's a character's name? That's just a character's name. Oh. And, yeah, because there's so many princesses in this book, I see where you got confused. (laughs) She's the cat. Um, Princess Caroline says, um, people have short memories. It's the best and worst part about them. Hmm. And she's talking about, like, she works in L.A. And... And that's how people treat things. And that's how people, I think people treat things in the fashion world too. Mm -hmm. It's like there's drama, then people forget, you know? Oh, I just wiped the bottom of my shoe and it's definitely dog shit. (gasps) Oh no. Should we pause? Yeah, I'm just going to wash my hands. Ew. Okay, so we're at this point that he's trying to do this autobiography and he's realizing he can't do it because he didn't quit Vogue or, like, go on a sabbatical. It's, like, whatever. Oh, my God. Imagine trying to write someone's biography while you had a full-time job. Like, yeah, and he was like, yeah, that was a bad idea. Like, he was like, I should have not done that because he ended up getting an advancement and then he spent it all and then was, like, didn't have anything. So they hired somebody else eventually. Mm -hmm. So... He's sad that he missed out on the opportunity. Honestly, it's like, I don't even know why he mentions this. I, I don't know why it's even brought up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's talk- I mean, I think may- maybe he feels like he has to talk about professional failures. Maybe. But I'm just like, oh, whatever. But uh, this is kind of the first time that he brings up how Carl just, like, exiles people. Mm. And how he's seeing a pattern of, like, how Carl gets really close with people and then just, like, never talks to them again. Which I'm like, sounds scary dude Mm -hmm. like you know your time is gonna come in those kind of situations Mm -hmm. yeah he sees it like people ask him for money oh god the things that make him cut you off it's like yeah but he was very giving he gave a like carl gave a lot of stuff away carl like was very lavish with the way he spent his money towards his friends but it had to come from him being asked 
Right. He didn't like being asked. He didn't like being asked. He dressed all his friends. Yeah. So, okay. Pa- some guy named Patrick who worked for French Vogue, he would hunt for antiques on Carl's behalf. One year, Carl found out that Patrick had moved in with a partner and he was just like dropped, like because he moved in with a partner. Yeah. And then some chick named Kitty who got Carl the job at Chanel. I should say her name, Kitty D'Alessio. Yeah, feminism. Well, you know, people probably want their names (laughs) if she's still alive and still working. Who knows? She got Carl the job at the Chanel. And so, like, she changed the history of Chanel by hiring Carl. And, you know, maybe she said it too often and too loudly. And as a result, she was fired and banned from ever attending a Chanel fashion show again. Just like, and these are like, okay, these are work examples. But, like, he does it with friends, too. Friends, like, will ask him for money or ask him a favor or just, like, do, like, some tiny little thing. And he just, like has their stuff removed from his house because a lot of times people were, like, staying at his villas and just, like, exiles them. Yeah, and another example, which I think is particularly cruel, is Antonio Lopez, Mm -hmm. which is one of the people that Andre had met with Carl for the first time. And he was a fashion illustrator and one of the closest friends in his early years of being a designer. And Antonio's fashion sketches had been a very major inspiration for Carl when he was first designing for Chloe. And then in the 70s, Carl included the Puerto Rican artist and his best friend Juan everywhere, okay? Their entire apartment were furnished with lavish art, antiques, and in return, they introduced Carl to inside characters of the Warhawk factory and all this stuff. And then he had his fill of both Antonio and Juan and, and how he bathed in the luxury that comes with being in Carl's inner circle. Yeah, he just took back all the stuff for no reason, really. Yeah, that was the thing he did, too. Even to people he was still hanging out with. Like, he gave Andre some piece of furniture that was, like, in his house for a long time. Some, like, really nice, you know, antique thing. And then one day just, like, asked for it back. And it's like, bro, this is, like, squatter's rights. You can't just take shit back from people. Yeah, he he was notorious for no... Yeah, he, like, had basically filled these people's apartments with, like, very art deco stuff. And then just took it all back and then never talked to them because he was just like, I've had enough of you. Yeah, and they'd already given him what he needed. They, like, introduced him to people. They, like, got him acquainted with, like, the trendy, more underground scene of things. And, like, then he had nothing else he needed from them. Um, I think that's sick. Yeah, and, like, that's the thing with a lot of these friendships. It's, like, it feels so L.A. It's, like, people just want to use each other... And it's not that they don't have any inkling of real friendships, but, like, none of it feels stable. Yeah. I'm kind of like, do you even remember everything that you gave them? Because he seems to be giving things left and right. And I'm like, what, you got a spreadsheet? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of. I'm like, he's like, okay, I got two vases, one can't, you burnt the candle? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I don't know. It just seems like a lot. Anyways, so the only person that really, like, was pardoned from this behavior from Carl was his partner Jock because he was just like so French and beautiful and he had a mind I guess um yeah he I think I said like oh yeah hot and good at convos and that he was Carl's little mannequin yeah he loved to dress him up as an 18th century dandy which I kind of love honestly (laughs) these boys had some fun yeah he said he did not skimp on the fur coats from Fendi which I was just like I wish I could see these outfits Mm mm-hmm um, and during this time, this is the 80s, so a lot of people were dying of AIDS. A lot. I mean, it's so tragic thinking about it. Especially, like, just he names, like, 
names after names, like at least two paragraphs worse than names of people that were part of the fashion world that just died from AIDS. He's like Scott Barry, one of the most successful black designers at the time. Like he's like, I wonder what it would be like, what the fashion world would be like if he was still living, Mm -hmm. which is like very true. What would the world be like with all these artists? Because a lot of them were artists Mm -hmm. that died. Yeah, and that's another way that he kind of like alludes to having been spared by the fact that he doesn't partake in any of this. Or around this time, Dan Vreeland and his grandma, his mama, die back to back. And it hits him really hard. He eats a lot of fake Newtons, a lot of fake Newtons. We're talking two packs every night before bed. So he, he just starts to talk about like how he's eating in order to deal with this. He joins a church and he stops talking to his mom. He talks about how his mom and him connected on their love of clothes, but... He says, my mother loved clothes, though I'm not sure if she ever fully loved me. I know that was the saddest line I'd ever read. Yeah. But yeah, their relationship was hard. But this is like, he loses a lot of people this these mm-hmm. few years. Mm-hmm. And Carl loses Jock. Mm-hmm. This is also a moment to go back on Antonio Lopez. He was dying of AIDS as well. Mm. And something that Andre did was like, hey, Antonio's like, down on his luck, dying. Mm. Um, Carl, will you, like, help him out? Because he was your best friend back in the day. And he was like, Carl was mad that he even brought it up. So Carl didn't give a sit to Antonio Lopez while he was on his deathbed. Mm. Bill Cunningham, the famous New York photographer, bought one of his sketches and then resold it, and it all went back to Antonio. So he, like, I think died comfortably. But again, it's kind of showcasing Carl's cruelty. Yeah. But yeah, Jock ends up dying, and you would think that Carl is being impacted the same way, in a similar way that Andre is. Right, and so he invites Andre to spend two weeks with him, like, at his big house, one of his big houses over Christmas, and Andre's like, cool, okay, we'll, like, mourn together. But instead, they don't talk about it at all, and they only see each other on, like, formal occasions, like dinners. So, like, everyone's there staying, a bunch of people, and, like, they get breakfast in bed. Like, he's just says, breakfast is in bed. Like, just really hard for me to picture. And then... What do you mean? Like, does someone... Yep. Come in? Mm-hmm. What if you don't want it in bed? Too fucking bad. Yeah, true. So they have lunch and dinner, and it's kind of like around Carl's schedule because he's working on his couture collection every day that they're there. And you dress for these dinners. Like, you have to dress to impress Carl. They're not like casual hangs. No, like, if you're not dressed to impress, he will... Again... He will not. He doesn't want you there. Yeah. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Which I'm kind of for. That's like a part where I'm like, if you're rich enough, you know, and they're throwing a lavish dinner, you can look the part, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. What yeah. else are you doing? We'll, we'll let Carl slide on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not every night. Because mm-hmm. that does sound like, it doesn't sound like a vacation necessarily. Right. Yeah. But he doesn't take vacations. Right. He's always working anyways. Right. Yeah. God. And um, he gets Andre some really cool pin and then Andre gets him nothing because that's Carl's request and he's like a terrible person to get gifts for because he immediately re-gifts things. Like even when you get him like a really thoughtful gift, he just like gives it away immediately. What's up with that? So rude. I just do not understand Carl. I like how his name is Carl too. It feels like we're talking about some, some guy down some, the street. Some like janitor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't Fucking like Carl, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like so he loves giving gifts, but like doesn't like receiving them. Hates talking about death. Hates people if they're not like dressed and talk properly. Like who? What 
is it is he a psycho like it almost seems like he has deep deep distrust for people and like there's maybe a part of him that wants to be really giving but then when people ask things of him he and this is a very gracious take just yeah i was like <laughs> just buckle up like this is this is this me is, therapizing yeah him. like maybe he when people ask him for things he's like oh you're just using me and it like triggers him or something because it feels like not being able to get gifts is like a vulnerability thing. Uh-huh. But also maybe he's just an asshole who like wants to be in control of, like he wants to be the stylish one. He wants to be the fancy one. Mm. You don't get to give him a thing to put in his house. Like he only gets to. Well, I think that's what you're, you're onto something because I, I think he's both. He's an asshole and doesn't want vulnerability mm-hmm. and you can be both of those things. But like also like Andre does talk about how they are very similar, how his mom spoiled Carl and Andre's grandma spoiled Carl. And I'm like, spoil? Is spoiled that the Andre. word? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Different, <laughs> different kind of spoiling. His, uh, Andre's grandma spoiled. That's weird because also Carl, like he mentions offhandedly that he thinks Carl experienced abuse. Right. And some of the abuse that he like kind of thrown out there, he's like, he's never really like dived deep into it. Cause again, he doesn't talk about that shit. But, like, one of the things that he said was, like, his mom would tie him up at night so he wouldn't grab snacks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, horrible. And, and like, then, would tell him that, like, he was, like, an ugly dyke. Yeah, which I'm like, so how is she spoiling you again? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, she and then she would, like, instead of taking him to school, she would, like, drive him to the movie theater and he would just, like, watch movies. Yeah, which I was confused about. I was like, why is this comment here? Because I was just like, is this supposed to be telling stuff about his personality? I feel like it's supposed to be telling about how he got so obsessed with like media and, media and culture. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But yeah, he's just like obviously fucked up. Fucked up in the head somehow. And yeah, we worship him. <laughs> yeah. So at some point, you know, Carl's not doing that well. And Anna Wintour... Sends him to Paris for a few years because apparently she's a sweetheart sometimes. Andre's not doing very well. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, is that what I said? No, you just said he and we were kind of uh, talking about Carl. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So Andre's not doing that well. He's like, you know, in a winter, sometimes she's onto something and she sent him to Paris because she thought that he could use some time there. Also because he's good at his job and could be useful there. Both- I I honestly don't think Anna had an inkling of what's going on. She was just like, there's a position open over there. I don't know. Maybe. And so him and Carl are both gaining considerable weight at that time. Him and Carl, they're, all, they're always on the same page. He says, we both shared a love of books and we both loved and lusted for luxury in all of its forms. Fine linens, fine scents, finely shaped bodies of both sexes fine clothes, furniture, cars, and people. And we both found inspiration in classic cinema. That's when he tells the story about Carl's mom driving him to the movie theater instead of school. And then we meet Lee Radziwill. 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 You know, I don't know. Who is Jackie Kennedy's sister. I feel like in this book, he gives such a good tribute to Lee, like in a way that's so touching. Mm -hmm. I was left with such a good impression of Lee. You weren't. I mean, it, she seems, yeah, fine for a rich white lady. Like, I mean, amen to that, yeah. She, there were cool things about her. But, like, well, he also talks about how she would, like, re-gift everything and, like, we'll get to it, I guess. Okay, yeah, he has a meeting with her and the person he's doing the meeting with says, hey, like, don't mention her sister. Don't talk about don't her Don't talk sister. about it. I mean, she is deeply fucked up from Jackie and her's relationship. Why? Well, the little that I know, Jackie was, like, domineering and 
accrue to Lee in some capacities in a way that's like would control her life in a lot of ways. But also Lee was deeply jealous. Yeah, I'm sure. But why? Because she's famous for having good style. And Lee is like, wait a second. I want to be the one with good style. I love that that's that's one of your reasons. I I think that might be one of the reasons. Lee is known to have better style than Jackie in the the fashion world. I think people always knew that Lee was the it girl. Kind of like how, like I was saying, she's like the Solange. Right. Beyonce to... Yeah, she's because like we all know Solange has like the better taste in sense. Beyonce is the icon, but like Solange is like the art art sister. And yeah, I would say Lee was known to be the art. She like hung out with Andy Warhol and stuff. Right, like that. right. She had like a bold personality. But like Jackie had the Kennedy, but she was a princess. So I'm like, y'all are both on equal playing fields. Well, apparently Jackie like steals Lee's husband. Like, uh, oh yeah, or was going to be husband. That was one of the things. Which actually doesn't make sense to me. What do you mean? What is it? What is a like, were they engaged? It, the What I read made it sound like Lee just, like, had her sights set on him. I mean, yeah. But imagine if your sister did that. If you're like, hi, I have a huge crush on this guy. And then your sister... He owns a lot of boats. Uh, he owns a lot of boats. He's not cute at all. But listen, he's rich. His name was... Onassis, right? That was the, her last name for a while. Yeah, what was the name? It was, like, Ari... It, he's Greek. That's all I know. He was born in Turkey and, like, escaped to Greek... His name was Ari Onassis, which stands for Aristotle. His name is Aristotle Socrates Onassis. I mean, dude, my Greek professor's name is Aphrodite. They stuck to it. I love that. (laughs) I really love that. So she has some legit reasons to be mad at her sister. She gets a job as Diana Vreeland's assistant at Harper's Bazaar. And yeah, Diana Vreeland tells Andre that it was Lee, not Jackie, who had the taste, the true chic, the intuition for food, clothes, and quality. Lee's bio on Wikipedia doesn't really say anything about her career in fashion. Yeah, it doesn't. It kind of mostly makes it sound like she's just a socialite. And she does try a lot of different careers. Like, I don't think she really was, like, a hard... She didn't have a lot of focus, is what I was reading. Right. She had a hard time, like, kind of maintaining a career because she didn't have to. Sure. And did you know that she dabbles in film? I did not know that. Can we watch her in something? She was the one who had the idea to do the Grey Gardens documentary. That makes sense because she's related to them. Yeah. So it's like her cousins are living in some shack and she's like, hey, I really think you should make a movie about my cousins. (laughs) They really hit it on my nerves and I feel like they're interesting. Yeah. Which I'm kind of like, I don't know how to feel about that. It's like. Yeah, because, I mean, that's how I feel about Grey Gardens, because we all love Grey Gardens. Everybody always talks about Grey Gardens as being, like, iconic, and I'm like, I feel like they're all mentally ill, and I feel really bad for them, personally. Yeah, it's like, are we making fun of them? Is this, like, are we, like, Jane Goodall, like, watching? Yeah, we are. Yeah, so she has that job to make the documentary, and it her documentary didn't go through. She hired these two brothers to film, and they filmed a bunch of footage, but then it didn't really work and so they come back and film more and like they make the movie that makes so much sense because i knew that it was two brothers and i was like i guess they just live in the neighborhood (laughs) that's funny (laughs) 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 yeah just two bros passing by yeah anyways yeah it says that the original film project was not completed and Radziwell kept the foot that had been shot. But the brothers were so fascinated by the strange life of the two women that after raising funds for film and equipment, they returned on their own and filmed 70 more hours of footage. And the resulting film, titled Grey Gardens, um, is widely considered a masterpiece of the documentary genre. Dude, so many movies have been redone. Like, Drew Barrymore is in, like, the movie version of that documentary. And then there's, like... 
a mockumentary. Yeah, there's a mockumentary. Wow. I'm like, I hope they made money from that. Anyways. Oh, God. Chapter nine. Oof. <laughs> How do you say his name? John Galliano. Thank you. Galliano. So this is when he talks about Galliano. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it's not that interesting. Again, it's not about Andre. It's more about this other artist. But Andre does a lot of work for Galliano, and he was pretty much a broke-ass poor artist. But everybody saw his genius. And in 1994, the backer for Galliano's spring collection pulled out. Okay, wait. Because first he does a show. He does one show that, like, blows everyone away. I mean, it blows people's minds. Apparently. Yeah. It's like has this whole concept. And like people aren't really doing this at the time. You don't really have like concepts behind your runway shows. But he has this thing. It was actually the concept was written by Amanda Harlich, who was like his creative director and muse. And her idea were that the models were Russian Tsarinas leaving the Winter Palace during the revolution. They end up in Scotland. Lots of things happen, you guys. I know this her writing. I'm like. Keep it to a minimum. Like, yeah. keep the storyline straight, lady. Like- right. <laughs> and then the third act, the girls reach the ascot of the 1930s wearing long, fluid bias cut. Whatever. There's a concept, and it blows people's minds. And so then everyone's like, okay, Galliano, what's next? And he's like, I don't know, guys. I don't have any money. He's like, oops, uh, about that. I'm yeah. not a designer anymore. I don't yeah. know. I never was. Don't have any money. Sorry, <laughs> but I am working on this hoop skirt. What do you think? <laughs> okay, did you actually check out 1993's show? A little bit, yeah. It feels like Marie Antoinette-esque yeah, yeah. With, with plaid. And a little bit, like, apocalyptic. Yeah, it is very good. It's interesting. It's artsy, I would yeah. say. It's definitely, like, art fashion. Nothing that you could actually wear. wear. Yeah. And unless you were aristocrat. Yeah, yeah. But even aristocrat, you that would be so, like, I don't know. Right? It'd be out of place. Yeah. They don't like to look, they don't like to show off their wealth that much. Yeah, so the backer pulled out, and he was just like, Oopsie daisies, no money. And was it partly because, like, he didn't have commercial appeal, and so it was, like, harder for him to get... I don't think he was selling anything. Well, right. No one was buying the clothes, like we said, because they weren't super wearable. But the people at Vogue, including Andre, were like, no, but it's so good. And so they worked really hard to introduce him to people, and then they found him a backer. Yeah. Well, yeah, Andre had to do all this heavy lifting of, like, finding the backer though like he had to like help organize dinners and do so Andre did a lot of work and John Galliano was like not a schmoozer like not a good personality he'd have to like bring him he'd be like okay John tell the nice man how good you are at fashion <laughs> and John would just be like duh <laughs> he'd be like duh, 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 I'm great <laughs> yeah yeah he like was not impressive but now he's like a schmoozer he's an expert and then they found a backer that only gave him $50,000. And Andre was like, can you do the whole show under $50,000? And they're like, yeah, I think we can. That seems like so little. That's less than I make a year. Yeah. And so a lot of people do stuff for free to make this show happen. Like the makeup people aren't getting paid. The Never models aren't getting paid. Andre finds some rich lady to let them have the show at a private residence. Like everyone's working for free to make this happen. Yeah. Because they think this guy's a genius. Yeah, and well, the rich lady that did it at her private residence didn't know about him yet, but she trusted Andre. So, yeah, her place, I looked up pictures. Golly. It is like a Russian empress. Like, it's got very tall ceilings. Mm. Everything is like painted in gold, and like, it's just over the top. Yeah, so they had the runway in her historical home, and it was a huge hit. And then after that, Andre said that people started picking more historical homes. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he was the first, though. Yeah, people started, like, 
coming up with interesting concepts for their runway shows and like locations. I keep on smelling something burnt. Hmm. Am I okay? I don't. Yeah. No, I'm fine. Okay, Giuliano. Giuliano. Galliano. Galliano eventually became the head designer of Givenchy and then Dior. And Dior is like, I didn't know this. Yeah, I wrote the same thing. Apparently, Dior is like a big deal. I was like, Dior is the bad perfume. Yeah, know? he says the biggest fashion house in the history of modern fashion. I was like, okay, noted. I yeah. don't, this is how little I fucking know. Because yeah. you could have said Dior and I would have been like, yeah, the perfume. Who gives a shit? Right, right. I mean, hold on to that. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean? Which which part? Like, like, the, like the feeling the, of... The not giving a shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. But he becomes head of Dior, and that's a big fucking deal, apparently. But he kind of loses it because he does a bunch of drugs and says some racist stuff. He also brings Steven with him, his right-hand man, but not Amanda, who, like, wrote that whole show concept, and he won't even take her calls. Um, but then Andre gets Amanda a job with Chanel through Carl. So Andre's doing a lot of behind the scenes, making sure everybody's happy and like getting very little credit. And for making it. sure like talented people like to get to do their work. And it does feel like part of it comes from such a place of like love for the work, like love for the fashion of it all. But how funny was Amanda Harlick's quote unquote interview with Carl for Chanel? Like basically Andre like takes her to Chanel. He's like, hey, Carl. No one's paying her. Giovanni, yeah. like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, should I maybe give her a job? And Andre's like, oh, sure, yeah. And then Carl's like, have her go to the boutique and pick some stuff out. And she goes shopping and, like, picks some stuff out. And Carl's like, oh, good choices. Okay, yeah, now take her to the couture house, see what she picks out there. I'm like, can this be my interview? <laughs> like, I don't know if I'd pass, but I would just be like, oh, I didn't get the job. Okay, well, see you later. <laughs> yeah, you just pick it out some clothes. And also, like, can you go wrong if you're picking out clothes from, like, his selection anyways? Well, it seemed like he felt very swayed by what she picked out. But, yeah, who knows? Maybe he would have just given it to her no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, then it's very sad. I watched the video of Galliano being racist, and it's very sad. Oh, I did not. What does he say? I mean, don't say, repeat it, but, like, what? why do why you think it's sad? Does he look bad, or? It's evil. Oof. Yeah. Gross. You well, drugs saying... do that to you. Not to give that an excuse at all, but. Yeah. When yeah. you're coked plus whatever other drug you're on, you become the devil. Like, I swear to God. You become yeah. Wall Street, bro. Yeah, that's gracious. And Andre's take of it was very gracious, too. Where yeah. He's like, I have fallen, too. And, like. Yeah, he was way too nice about it. I'm not trying to say anything. But, like, Anna Wintour, like, takes him. And Andre also takes him under back under his wing. Even though he said some terrible things. Obviously evil is what Hope was saying. Then he gets a job at none other than Mason Margiela. The tabby boot place. And that's where he's been at for a while. So that's the designs that we see from Mason. Yeah, Blitz Foster talks about Margiela and Galliano a lot. And it's like, I don't know if he really talks about Galliano's fall from grace. He doesn't do that, though. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot of critique of, like, the bourgeois. Or, like, artists as a person versus just their art. Right. Which is hard. Whatever. Yeah, but he said some horrible things. Should we forgive somebody for having a moment of utter evilness being high on drugs like i don't know i honestly don't know because it's it, it's in them yeah and it's like giving them such a high platform it's like we can, yeah you can forgive people but does does their platform need to change like do we want to be hearing their message like it just kills it for me yeah i mean he was never really held accountable i yeah. mean yeah he fell from grace but like he was never been he like still has like an amazing job yeah he's still doing exactly what he wanted to do mm-hmm. and i'm just like 
can he be held accountable? Can he go to like critical race theory classes? Can he like, I don't know, have like a real conversation to the public about like how he's privileged in certain ways? Like, no, those will never happen. So he'll continue to live in this echo chamber of his existence being worthy because of whatever belief system that he internalized, which is biased and racist. And yeah, so I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about any of it. So I'm just like trying to process like, when people do that kind of stuff, like, what is the route to go? And then, yeah, I don't think rehiring them as a designer and saving their career is always the right thing. So right. I think they need to, like, fall farther. Right. Know? Yeah. It's like someone else could have had that cool job at Margiela. Maybe their oh. collections wouldn't have been as cool, but I mean, probably would have been fine. Yeah. And the fact that Andre took such good care of him, again, shows to me, like, how I'm like, Andre, no one's taking care of you. Yeah. Speaking of how no one's taking care of him, he's becoming pretty tireless at Vogue because he's not getting any cred for, like, helping on. And Anna's getting all the applaud. Yeah, and, I mean, Anna Wintour's really relying on the editors. Like, her specialty's making decisions. She was never really passionate about clothes. He says power was her passion. And she's also not really interested in helping Andre, like, continue to rise at Vogue. And he hits a ceiling and he decides to leave. So he quits. He goes back to North Carolina to eat and mourn his grandma. And he's eating a lot. Okay, so that's a theme throughout the rest of this book. It's how much he's eating. And I'm like, <sighs> again, poor Andre, because I'm just like, can you not exist through these standards of like white thinness? Like, okay, I want to acknowledge that diet culture is so toxic and he's obviously affected, but his eating isn't like, a, oh, he's internalizing whiteness and that's the reason he thinks you shouldn't eat this much he's like using it as a coping mechanism and it's not like overeating a little bit he's like binging intensely no i and i understand that but i think it's also it, it's a balance of both it's like him becoming bigger is cause is creating like a stigma that he knows he can't really exist in this world of, of being his size therefore yeah. he returns to eating again it's just like if he was re- relinquished of all these like ideals of what a body should look like and what it should be he would it wouldn't be so bad like there would be some I just want him to live in a world where he doesn't have to deal with his race of course and his body type because it's just like it's it's just like holding him down through Mm -hmm. the whole book and you can sense it and you can I mean like he's writing about it and how Mm -hmm. and he clearly feels that he he feels the need to explain it yeah you know because he says it kind of doesn't affect his work but it also clearly does at some point where it's like they have an intervention which i'm like which i wonder if they've ever had an intervention for someone who was like doing drugs or or an anorexic or like dream drinking too much you know it's like yeah it's yeah they care a lot about skinniness to a degree where he's like he doesn't feel adequate enough and he's constantly not feeling adequate enough yeah because of his weight and then that and again like keeps him eating more and hating and it's just like I, I want him to have some relief through yeah. this and just be like, dude, you look great. Whatever. I know it sucks. Just if you don't, if you know you're not going to quit eating, then don't fucking like. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like we all, we all have our vices that we cling to. And it's like, he didn't get into drugs. He didn't get into drinking. I mean, he does spend a lot of money, but what, like what I'm saying is like, we all have our, our vices and society doesn't really ask us to stop drinking. Most of the time society doesn't ask us to stop drinking like, people get away with doing a lot of drugs. It, yeah. yeah, it sucks that, like, his is not only very visible, but very visible and very reviled by the world that he's trying to succeed in. Yeah, the fashion world, which is, like, skinniness is key. And also, it's, like, 
I I want to touch on like food and culture is really pre- prevalent too because he like goes to food because that's where he found love with his grandma cooking and making food at the table mm-hmm. and he's like doesn't have any love or surrounding him and especially it's not in the food the food that people are eating are just like not southern homemade like stick to your bones kind of shit it's like salads and whatever like eating is not it's not of this world the fashion world does not talk about eating and if it's like just not i mean they probably had like big dinners i mean like carl's also gaining weight it's like i think probably you know, like, they do have lavish meals. I'm sure that there was food. I'm sure there was food. Excuse me. It's just, like, there's not a sense of culture and love He's not there. finding love, yeah. In it. And, and yeah. the food that he's going to is his grandma's food. Yeah. Which I'm like, let him eat his fucking grandma's southern fatty foods. And, like, I, I'm sorry. That's, that's just the way it is. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, like, if at the time he internalized it this way as much as he does upon reflection. Like, he reflects on it so distinctly of being a way of, like, replacing his grandma's love and just the love he lacked in general. I wonder if he was, like, conscious of that at the time or if that's just the way that he's internalizing it now and trying to, like, explain it now. But Yeah, and it, he just brings it up so often that I'm like, this came up a lot. Mm-hmm. This came up a lot. Yeah. I think we can skip over this. I mean, Anna Wintar's mom dies. They rekindle their friendship. And then there's a really cool shoot that he does with Naomi Campbell that's Gone with the Wind theme that I want to do a TikTok about. So Yeah, you should definitely do a TikTok. But she plays Scarlett O'Hara. So it's like, you know, a take it's on like, it. Yeah. But I did like he has a line where he's like, obviously, I don't like Gone with the Wind. Right, right. Like, like, how can you? <laughs> how can you? Oh, yeah. Um, And later in life, he gets this letter from... Paula Wallace, asking him to come down to Savannah to receive the Fashion Icon Award. He was so touched that he flew down and had such a great time. He loved it there. So a week after receiving the award from Savannah College of Art and Design, they asked him if he could start handing out the Andre Leon Talley, a.k.a. ALT, Lifetime Achievement Award each year. Yeah, so he's like, sweet. And then... He's like, okay, I'm going to play it cool. Carl's going to be my second pick. I'll pick some. He picks Oscar de la Renta for the first one. And then he's like, mm, who's my number two? Mm, oh, uh, oh, Carl. Hey, Carl. I just thought of this. Sorry. <laughs> just Carl? Carl, baby? Yeah. But I, yeah, that is so funny that you said that. Because I was like, why didn't he pick Carl first? He's yeah. like, he's like, he's got to work for it a little bit. Yeah. Barely. Also, he did take Oscar de la Renta to this like Southern drag show. And Andre was like, maybe I shouldn't have taken him there. No, but apparently Oscar was like very into it. Yes. Yeah. But I was just like, I love that all these like French and Carl, like highfalutin motherfuckers are coming down to like the dirty south mm-hmm. and getting a little yeah, grimy. I don't know much about this college. Like it's, I'm like, was it kind of random that they wanted him to do this? Like, I know, I know of this college as like the college of the south for like art and design. Yeah. But it's, like, expensive. So I'm, like, who can actually go there? Right. You know, but. Yeah. I mean, it ends up being a really cool thing for him. He also settles into wearing caftans during this time. He's, like, look, I don't fit into suits anymore. And so, like, that becomes his thing. And people, like, making them. He's, like, it's interesting because, again, he talks about his weight. He's, like, it's not just about the weight. And I'm, like, no one said it was. Like, or maybe people did, but I was just like, it felt very defensive of the fact that he started wearing caftans and he's like, it's not just because I was gaining weight. It's also because people like to make them for me. And, and he I'm did like, a lot of research on like African traditions mm-hmm. and like, yeah. But I mean, imagine amassing like 
an amazing wardrobe and then it, you don't fit into it anymore, I'd be so bummed. I would be so fucking Like, if bummed. I put on some weight, I'm just like, well, well, I guess I gotta go back to Goodwill. I mean, it is a cycle, because that has happened to me. I don't even know, like, I have had clothes where I'm just like, that was my favorite clothes, now I can't fit into it anymore, and it is sad. And to imagine amassing, like you said, a huge collection of clothes that would that were designer the people had like given you a lot of the time. Ugh, that would be. But now he's getting more clothes for his size. And honestly, this is when he kind of like leans into his iconic like look because right. this is what I remembered him as like with the big captains and they're beautiful. Like yeah. this is a look that he should have always been wearing. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, he also says it's a mix of like the weight but also that he's getting comfortable in his style and he's like you know, he's a little more settled in his career where he can be a little weirder. Yeah. He can dress a little weirder. Yeah. And this is also triggering if anybody has, like, any of these eating disorders because it's just, like, what the man goes through is so much. Like, the fact that they have an intervention in Anna Wintar's, like, I'll pay for you to go to this diet clinic. Right. I just think is so sad. Yeah. <laughs> and anyways, like... He's like, no, I'm going to do it by myself. He can't do it. So a year later, he, she, she sends him off three different times to this diet clinic paid fully by Vogue. And they, like, he loses 50 pounds the first time and comes back. And he loses 25 pounds in a week mm-hmm. and 20 pounds in the next week. And I was like, that cannot be healthy. Mm-hmm. But whatever. People yeah. are excited to see him. That None of these work. And then he gets the lap band surgery, which I'm like, damn yeah and that didn't work it didn't work for him yeah and all the while while carl is getting skinnier and skinnier yeah and i just had listened to a podcast about the carl lagerfeld diet it's um high maintenance the podcast i just started listening to they do like episodes about diet culture um but it's funny and they talk about this book and about the diet which is like you drink like a bunch of diet cokes i don't know it's just like you just don't eat you basically just don't eat is like the book on, oh. on how Carl lost the weight. It's like there was some salad recipe and they were like, okay, yeah, this is looking pretty good. And then it's like serves four. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. Cause Carl didn't give away his, I guess until the end, like how he was losing the weight. Like right. his eating habits were kind of like under wraps. Like he wouldn't eat with other people, I think and stuff, uh-huh. but he lost a total of a hundred pounds. Yeah. Which is a lot of weight. Yeah. The way Andre talks about it, it's like enjoying food is a sin sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Carl views enjoying food as like not supposed to be. He comments a little bit about Andre eating. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, again, lay the fuck off Andre. Mm-hmm. Everybody just, it just you don't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like, Carl, he's like, but Carl accepted me at my weight no matter what. And I was like, did he? Did he? Anyways. Yeah. And Lee, your girl Lee. She refers him to her psychotherapist, but she's a real sweetie pie about it, he says. <laughs> and he regrets only going once. But um, he it was a good, like, $1,500 or something. Like right. That. Yes, very expensive. Oh, and then, okay, he interviews o- Michelle Obama. He Yeah, he because Obama does the March cover, which is the power issue. Can any magazine do a power issue? I don't know. I have a whole, I'm like, why are we celebrating power? Do they have, like, the same themes every year? I guess so. You know, I did not look them further. I was, again, bored. I was just, like, the concept of a power issue being a magazine theme would just not be, again, why I never tuned into Vogue. I would be like, I don't 
power. Yeah, power. What, like, they who have, cares? Yeah, who gives a shit? But Michelle Obama, of course, was on that cover when the February of 2008 uh, was when her husband got inaugurated, and then she was on the cover um, in March, so it was, like, fitting. She sounds lovely, the way he describes her. She Plain and simple. Lovely. Yeah. Um, he also mentions Ricardo, mm-hmm. like, a couple paragraphs where I'm like, is this his, like, what do people do, like, on in the newspaper or, like, on Craigslist, oh. like, misconnections? Yeah. It felt like a misconnection. He was like, he was such a sweetie pie. I wish he would come back. But, I you know. know. I know. I was like, literally, is this, are you writing this to Ricardo right now? <laughs> I think he was. Also, Ricardo, yeah. That was a weird thing where, like. They kissed at a nightclub one time, and then they lose touch. But then Ricardo finds out Andre's in town from, like, some article and that also lists his hotel. And so Ricardo, like, sends a note to the hotel. I know. I was like, this is weird. Yes. Okay. So, oh, yeah. So there's some, like, event, and Anna loses her, Anna Wintour loses her cell phone. And she's like, where's my cell phone? Oh, He's yeah. like, I, didn't, I don't have your cell phone. You gave me your purse, but not your cell phone. She's like, blah, 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 blah. And so then he, like, calls the hotel being like hey did she leave her phone there and they're like yeah and so she tells her that and then the next morning he gets a handwritten note from her being another like, goddamn handwritten note thanks for your help of course like not i'm sorry just like thanks for helping wouldn't it be funny if she just had stamps that's so funny <laughs> yeah thanks for helping me last night when i was so mean stamp she had like a stamp for every word and it just yeah. looks like her handwriting i yeah. mean anyways he wants to get it framed he takes it to a framer, and then the framer loses it because he thought it was a fucking piece of trash. I'm so glad that you're bringing that up because I was so confused. I was like, a farmer? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why is he harassing he this farmer? embedded into it, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, um... I, that was, like, a true <laughs> confusion moment. I, ne- I re- reread it multiple times. Never hit framer. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, so he's livid. This is one of the t- parts where you get to see kind of, like his snobby side or like he reveals it to you where he's so livid at this framer that he like calls him to berate him so many times that the framer retires <laughs> supposedly i'm like okay andre sure, yeah i'm like how many th- you call him day in day out but yeah apparently he was very upset about it so that was the last letter of kindness that he receives from anna yep and then carl finds a new boyfriend named baptiste and then carl drops anna Anna Gianni, the one that we talked about earlier, uh, she was the most important woman in Carl's yeah. early years, the woman who served as muse and alter ego, and she arranged suppers, dressed up to amuse him, and because of her intelligence and her incredible collection of vintage clothing, Carl supported her for nearly 20 years, then one day, out of the blue, he exiled her, maybe he grew tired of her complaining, Sometimes he just got tired of people. And then when Carl excised her, the luxury stopped. She had lived in comfort due to him for nearly two decades, and now she was recently widowed. Her husband and lover died one right after the other, which I'm like, Anna. Um, yeah, she's French, right? Italian? I mean, yeah, European, baby. Yeah, so then she was just left to pick up the pieces, but then eventually he, like, gets back. She gets back in her good graces. That is a big thing, the fact that he she got back in his good yeah, graces. Yeah, true. So that was unheard of, so that's just to be noted. True. Yeah, and then there's some twice-annual Metiers Day Art Show showcasing the work of their craftsmen. She starts with um, some short film that Carl directed called The Return about Coco Chanel's oh, 1950s yep. comeback. 
And Andre stays the next day to talk to Carl about funding a retrospective about this photographer named Deborah Turberville, who was like about to die. And her dying wish was for Andre to do a rest retrospective of her, which like, okay, lady, like your dying wish is just to have someone fucking memorialize your life. Like, get over yourself. <laughs> these rich pe- these people. I mean, the amount of like paintings I've seen of women, older women with pearls to a, like, I don't know, museum that I've been on, you know what I mean, that has their name on, like, the name of the museum is named after them. It's just, like, everybody wants to be memorialized. Yeah, and so Andre is like, okay, I'm going to tell Carl, but here's the thing. Carl hates death. He hates talking about death. He also is a photographer, and so honoring another photographer did not sound like a cool idea to him, and this is the moment that Andre gets cut. Yeah, he's like, he sees it in Carl's eyes. There's like something that just switches where he's just like, he in the way that he like moves and walks, he's like, it sounds like he just like walks back, like, which kind of cracks me up. He's like, mm, I'll think about it. And then slowly kind of just chasses like backwards, like still yeah. like try, just trying to get away from Andre. Yeah. And they were at dinner with his new boyfriend and his boyfriend's friends. And so Carl's trying to be all cool. And he's like, don't ask me for money in front of my friends. Yeah. And then, yeah, never speaks to Andre again. Well, not even... Or they are they do speak at, like, parties. They'll run into each other and he'll be like, hello, Carl. Yeah. I think Carl's chasing this youth mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And I think Andre just wasn't doing it for him anymore in that way. Like, he wasn't hip and happening anymore. Because we all hit that moment, in the, especially in the fashion world. It's just like... Yeah, it's pretty sad. He, like, misses Carl a lot. He talks about it a lot. But his heart is with the Savannah College of Art and Design, and he's creating sweet exhibits. And, like, this is, like, something he wanted to do for the Met that Anna Wintour wouldn't let him do. She didn't think that he had it in him to do museum curation or whatever. Which, like, I'm pretty sure Grace Coddington did. Oh, really? Like, I think she did do curations. Which I'm like, I'm confused what an editor is then. I'm like... Do they curate, too? Like, I guess that's the whole point of editing. I thought they were just reading over people's stuff. I feel like the editors, they, like, well, he styled the shoots, and it's more, like, styling and less, like, history. You're right. I I guess, but there are Vogue curations that happen. Uh Uh-huh. I assume, as he talks about it. Yeah. I don't know of any, because I would not go to one, but, yeah. So, I am just, like... That's what he should have been doing his whole life, I think, really, honestly. It's, like, he should have been a curator because he just, like, knows so much shit and, Mm -hmm. like, would have done so well with that. Yeah, when he starts to talk about, like, putting together these exhibits, you're just, like, that mind has so much in it. He does an exhibit on the little black dress. Um, His mom dies, and then he gets trapped in an elevator. Anna doesn't come to her funeral, but she sends, like, a really nice bench. Well, his mom dies. He gets a phone call, and then he's like, okay, well, I don't want to make a scene. And then immediately gets trapped in an elevator. Right. He's at an Oscar de la Renta show, right? Like, yeah. And then, yeah, gets trapped in an elevator. Um, and then Oscar de la Renta dies, and Andre does an exhibit on his work at the Savannah College of Art and Design. And then one of de la Renta's family members wants him to do a full retrospective. And so he does, he, like, does shows at a few museums and then... Oh, I just thought the most obvious curation that Vogue does. What? The Met. That's what I'm saying. That he wanted to do the Met. He wanted to do the work at the Met when he was with Vogue. Yeah. But Anna was like, nah. Yeah. So Diana Vreeland invented costume exhibits as they exist today. And the Met Gala. He talks about the Met Gala. The first one he goes to was the second one ever. Themed romantic and glamorous Hollywood design. Cher wears the iconic 
Bob Mackie jumpsuit. Andre's not allowed to bring friends. Like, he had to work kind of the whole time. And usually Tom Ford made his looks. He talks about Tom Ford a lot here and, like, how good of friends he is with Tom Ford and how Tom Ford is, like, just really important person to him in his life. And I'm like, we get it. You're trying to replace Carl. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, he's like, I'm over it. Look, Tom Ford's my new bestie. Yeah. Um, He's like, he loves me regardless of my weight. And I was like, you said that about Carl, too. Damn. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. And then, fucking like everyone else, Vogue started a podcast and uh, (laughs) Andre was the host. I wonder if we can listen to these episodes. Maybe you can. I don't know. Anna Wintar, it got canceled, so that's a thing. And Anna Wintar, like, you know, I don't know. Things go to the vault. Things go to the vault, so. Yeah, she didn't, of course, like, say why the podcast stopped. She just didn't say anything. And then also... The Met Gala rolls around and he gets told by Vogue that it's like beneath him to do the interviews at the Met Gala. And this has been like, this had become his thing. Like he was at the top of the stairs. I remember him for this. Interviewing and like people loved it. I mean, I'm saying like I'm speaking from the book, not from having watched it myself. I, I remember liking him. I remember him being there. And also another thing about the podcast, he really wanted to interview a lot of people. Anna Wintour was like, only high fashion. Yeah, he couldn't interview Missy Elliott. Or Maya Rudolph, noticeably noticeably black women. Mm -hmm. And yeah, which I think is really confining. And and honestly, like, Anna Wintour, you're fucking ancient. Like, get off. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't control the reins anymore. So yeah. And he talks about like getting replaced at the Met Gala by like some young person. He talks about how like it becomes the Met Gala has become like influencers and people who don't know anything about fashion and like how fucking annoying would that be? Yeah, but to me I'm also like what makes any like there's a whole conversation about this too where it's just like what makes going to this Met Gala like so they got invited, but you, the other people just got invited. Like what makes other people know not like I don't know if everybody knows about fashion anyways. Right, right. So like He's always known more about fashion than, like, yeah. everyone at the Met Gala. I think he's just, like, kind of mad that there's, like, obviously young people showing up. And he's just making assumptions that they don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, he's feeling like he's being replaced. Because, like, this is all about vanity. This is all about, like, youthful appearances. This is all about being white. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, n- at this point, none of these things. And he's feeling it. And it's, like, it's encroaching in his personal and, and like, work life. Mm-hmm. To the point where he's told he's not to come back to the Met Gala. He's not even told not to come back to Met Gala. There's just complete silence from Anna. He goes again, but he's kind of over it. Like, he goes and he kind of, like, shows up and he leaves early and he's like, this is stupid. He said it was, like, the the next year he, when he decided he wasn't ever going to go, next year they were like, it's Halloween for um, Met Gala. And I was like, it's always been like that, Andre. Don't. <laughs> it's so, like, it's so, like, the old fuddy-duddies making fun, like, talking yeah. shit on, like, how the new people do it but yeah but then he still goes to Anna's couture fitting every year it's really weird yeah their relationship is weird he says that in the end of it he's like I think about Anna every single day not a day goes by and I'm just like yeah because she cut him too like she didn't want to be friends with him anymore it's not that she didn't want to be friends with him I think it's like they had basically zapped everything that they could out of him Mm -hmm. at that point yeah it like feels like he has these good friendships like with Betty Catro and with Carl and with Lee and but he's at their mercy. Like they always are gonna have more power than money and money than him. Exactly. And like there's always gonna be this dynamic of like, yeah, they can just dispose of him. Like, okay, when Lee dies, 
Oh, he, yeah. He worries that he's not on the guest list of a 250-person funeral. And I'm like, you, it sounded like you guys were really good friends. Yeah. And he was, like, concerned about it. Yeah. He, like, ate for three days straight, just, like, worried. And then when he got the invitation, he called her other friends, and they, like, celebrated. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, why were you so, like, scared that you weren't going to get on the list? Is this just, like elitism and like you never know where you stand with people yeah because it's like because he's a black big black man like that wouldn't look good for lee. like is that what he was thinking or like what is this yeah yeah lee was nice but also gave away all the gifts people got her unless they were white orchids and oh, yeah um, another thing yeah when jackie kennedy died she left money to lee's kids but not to lee because um, what was the quote there was, like, a weird quote that I didn't oh, understand. yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, like... In her public will, Jackie left provisions for Lee's children, Tina and Anthony, but she left nothing to Lee. And quotations, for whom I have great affection because I have already done so during my lifetime. What does that mean? It just sounds like I've already given you enough. For sure. It's what I'm assuming. Is that is that what that means? But I'm, like, I'm not really sure. Yeah, so that was bad vibes. So, oh, but Lee was laid in a wicker coffin. What do you think about that? I think that's great. I mean, as the death expert. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm, I don't know where she was buried, but that is a sustainable coffin. Right. Yeah. Kind so. of a fun stylistic choice. Yeah. Uh, definitely shocking for Jack, uh, for Lee. Oh, God. Lee would, Lee's going to haunt me tonight for almost saying Jackie instead of Lee. Dude. Oh, my God. I'm scared for you. <laughs> I am scared. Dude. <laughs> if I hear, yeah, what, would, what does Lee even sound like? She's oh, like, darling. <laughs> <laughs> she's handwriting a letter about how much she's upset with me. Yeah, it's just like gonna, a pen you're scrolling. Hear the pen scraping. Okay, one creepy thing she said, though. So she, they talk about her atelier, Martin, who, like, goes on vacation with her. And Martin has a boyfriend named Mustafa. And she says, Martin, how appalling. You can't have a boyfriend named Mustafa. I, I know. I was like, a racist. And then... Uh, Martin told her that everyone in Paris kept saying that, that Mustafa looked so much like President Obama, and she quickly chimed back with no explanation. When are we having lunch with him? Which I'm like, get out. Creepy. Like, creepy. And like, just being, obs- it's like, oh, because he looks like a rich black guy? like uh, That you were familiar with and you feel comfortable around? That and he's, he's actually cool half white, too, yeah. so that helps. Yeah. Also, what is it, Mustafa? Yeah. Mustafa is a badass name. Lee? What is that? Yeah. Robert E. Lee? Like, what? It, come on. Yeah, dude. Lee is not a cool name. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, okay. In his final days, Carl Lagerfeld pushed everyone away but his cat. Anna Wintour called Andre when Carl died and showed, like, a fraction of some emotion. Andre writes a piece on Carl for Vogue. And then Carl didn't want to have a funeral or for anyone to see his dead body. But it's not about you, Carl. <laughs> we want to have a funeral for you. So they do, but Andre, you know, isn't invited. But apparently someone tells him that Carl had asked about him every day. Uh, Anna Wintard told him that. Mm. And that he watched the documentary. That came up later. Oh, yeah. And he was kind of shocked. He was like, I think Carl always did love me. And I was like, the fact that you have to fucking question that is so sad to me. Uh-huh. But yeah. he's obsessed with Carl. There is a deep obsession and longing for Carl. I think Carl was his longest relationship that he had ever had. Yeah. And it had benefited him in a lot of ways. So I feel so bad for him. Yeah. Then he goes to Africa with 
he goes to Ghana. Wait, no. Ghana. Nigeria. He goes to Nigeria with Naomi Campbell. That's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And she, like, is on diversity panels about fashion and wanting to start an... An African Vogue. Which I'm like, there isn't an African Vogue? Yeah. Of course there's not. Again, it's about, like, white supremacy. And I'm just like, but I am shocked a little bit that there is no African Vogue. I'm like, we still literally everything from Africa. Like, mm-hmm. the fashion there... Especially in Nigeria. Mm. Amazing. Mm. And it's like all the colorful colors, all the, it's just like, yeah. yeah. Then he talks about the year the Met Gala lost its sparkle. He talks about Jared Leto with his head, the like Gucci, the 2018 Gucci year. Oh, I did Jared Leto has I guess the, I... uh, the severed head. Yeah. Uh, I, I talked about that on my TikTok about how it got negative too, because it's not just one of his heads, it's two of his heads. Oh yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Thank you. So, we hate Jared Leto here. Yeah. Basically, he sums it up being like, this is sad. he's always wanted love. He wants to be nice. He, he thanks God for his, his grandma and Diana Breland. Oh, I like this line. We are the dinosaurs of Vogue, an endangered species. We have been pushed out for younger people with smaller salaries. Amen. No health insurance, no perks at all. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you are telling me. Yeah, he gets it. Like, And in his epilogue, he talks about like, oh, I first published this May 2020 at the height of the pandemic. And so this is super recent. This is like right before he dies. And he's like reflecting on how his culture, it's like he had his, this whole story and then now like the plight of black Americans has like come into like center stage of the news for like a brief moment of yeah. course and so he's kind of like yeah like i overcame a lot of obstacles like as i said in my radio interview uh, anna wintour is a colonial broad she will never allow anyone or anything to get in her way of her white privilege like he really lays into her in the epilogue which i loved yeah as she should because she gave out this piece during black lives matter that was like sorry you guys I know there's not enough black people in Vogue. Oopsie daisies. Really sorry about that. There should be more of you. Yeah. And, of course, nothing happens. Right. He And he's pointing out that's, like, something that of course she thinks she's doing something there. But, of course, nothing will, it will stay the status quo. Which is just, like, yeah, just white privilege. Anna Wintar is not going to be held accountable. And, honestly, I don't know. Is Vogue even important anymore? And that's what I want to get to. Anna Wintar, stop. Because... No one reads Vogue anymore, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I was just talking about some person on TikTok that was saying how, like, influencers charge way too little and that, like, Vogue will charge a shit ton of money for some page ad that will be seen by, like, 7,000 people or, like, just, like, so few people. And then, you know, if you're an influencer that has, I mean, this person works with influencers that have, like, a lot of followers, you know, they'll have, like, 150,000 followers and they're paying so little for, like, you know, one post that they do because they're like, oh, it's just one post. But it's like, that's going to be seen by so many more people. Like Exactly. But, like, Vogue has old money and Vogue has this, like, empire behind it and the status and this image. And so they feel like, oh, we can tr-. – it's, like, so stupid. And then these companies are just throwing money. It's almost like they're just exchanging money back and forth. Like, Givenchy, like, pays Vogue a lot of money to have a perfume ad. And it's like, yeah, no one gives a shit about your perfume, dude. And then Vogue, like – puts their clothes in the magazine. It's like they're both just, like, sucking each other off. Yeah, and who is Vogue even catering to? Not the youth, 
Teen Vogue has a good editor. Yeah, yeah. But she left. Oh, she did? She left after a while, yeah. The black editor, she was, like, badass, bringing a lot of people. She left a couple years ago. Like oh, really? two or three years ago. I don't remember her name. We should look it up and say her name. So that we can help people with our platform. <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. I just say Elaine uh, yeah, it's Welteroth. Better. It's better. Oh, she's active still. I swear that she left. I swear. I'm not crazy. Someone comment on our thing or talk to us or DM us. Please email us and tell me, did you not think Elaine Waltora had left Teen Vogue? Because I'm pretty sure she made a statement and I watched it and she left to write or something. Like, mm. So the last little paragraph I'm going to read to you guys. I've always feared life. I love living and I love looking to the endless skies. The world can't hurt me. No one can hurt me when I live in the circle of faith, love, and prayer. It gives me unbridled joy to give love. I've always wanted love. Devastating. Devastating. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, please go to therapy. But also, like, (sighs) toward the end of his life, I just hope he, like, found some kind of acceptance. I mean, like, he was getting evicted by his... What what are those shoes that... um, Manola Blahnik? Yeah, that... That was who he was renting the house from, was Millibonic. Oh, wow. They had this, like, handshake agreement that he would pay to buy. And he had, like, been taking care of the house, doing the landscaping. He's like, I've had to deal with these trees. These are, like, $10,000. He's, like, spent, like, over $800,000 on the house. But Mala Blanc was like, you owe us $500,000. And it was, like, this whole thing. But it got settled out of court uh, eventually. That's so awful. That was I'm just like one of his friends. Yeah, I'm like, what is it to you? You're fucking rich. Yeah. And then he also talks about the disparity. I watched some um, interviews, and he talked about some of the disparities about how he made three hundred thousand dollars at most at the pivotal point in Vogue, and he's like, back in the day, white women editors that had like the same kind of position I did were making like a million dollars. Wow. Which is just kind of outstanding. And he also talked about like how the house was his sanctuary how he didn't want to give it up and he's like it would be devastating to leave this place and then he ended up like dying soon thereafter but which was kind of again like a shock he died of like a heart attack and covid symptoms Mm. he'd been in declining health for a while but like it wasn't like he was on his deathbed or anything yeah i mean especially for the elderly it's like getting displaced is so jarring it's like really absolutely it's such a disturbance like yeah when people get alzheimer's and stuff even though we all like kind of end up like it takes on a lot of work moving them is actually one of the worst things that you can do yeah because it spirals them out of like not out of context you know yeah remember in human experience of place we even learned that like if you are gonna move someone you should have the layout of the home be the same and it's like interesting you should there's just so much new things to adjust to yeah and i'm already feeling it and i'm a i'm a young 32 and i'm like if i leave this house yeah dude yeah I and just, i live like, in a basement downloaded my boyfriend into my house i was like sorry bro i don't leave here ever <laughs> yeah you're like officially it's happening yeah i mean your place is sick though I like my place too. But it's like when it becomes your, like when you start making it your space and spending years there and hosting people and special moments to you. And yeah, it's your sanctuary. As you said, a sanctuary. Today when I was drawing my future yard, I want to have a greenhouse that doubles as like a place to have dinners like during the winter. Like, <laughs> Me too. I want the side parts just to be a long, like to have the garden going on and then have like a long table like with it covered. Mm-hmm. So people can see the garden Mm -hmm. and I have the side, like, I want things to be happening, but like we can eat 
and outside Mm -hmm. and I can have more than like four people Mm -hmm. inside. That is a goal. (sighs) Okay. Yeah. Which that's like, not that like me saving money is really going to get me to that goal. But today I got so frustrated because a gust of wind hit me that I bought an expensive puffy jacket. I didn't do, don't be shameful of that. You got inspired by Andre Leon's Tally's UGG campaign, his red jacket. Let me show it to you. Sure. Look at his big puffy jacket. Yes. He looks so cool there. This is in front of his house that he was getting evicted from. Oh, man. Anyways, it's late, you guys. We did it. It's our longest episode yet. There was just so much so goodies. Much yeah, I loved, I loved that book. I loved it, too. You want to you wanna give a short rating? Uh, God forbid if it's numbers. I know. <laughs> sends me into a panic. Okay. I'd say i give it... Okay, can we give it a, a rating for a memoir? Yeah. Yes, that's absolutely... I'd say it's a four. Out of... Five. Okay. I thought 10 for a second there. No, no. Um, actually, I was reading that seven's the best way to do it because people have to pick a side. Oh. But five just does as, does as well because it's... A, right. And it has to be an odd number. Yeah. I think there's just an extremer context of seven. Um, but I, out of five, I will pick, I don't know, five out of five captains. You give it a five out of five. I think it was... Vulnerable enough. I mean, I do have some critiques. I think it was not enough of Andre and a lot of, like, Carl and Anna Winter. Because, like, yeah. I think he also knew people weren't buying into the Andre Leon tally. Right. Like, they wanted he, to read about... The celebs. Which, yes, but also whatever. Well, I wonder if his, his first memoir that's more about, like, his growing up and stuff, I wonder if that's the more vulnerable one. I read some reviews, and, the, and it's more about, like his childhood and he, and people read it said it was very much like coming into a family table like at a thanksgiving or something and not really knowing if you should be there but you're there okay that was kind of an example so i was just like i don't think it reveals a lot about who he is but it reveals moments and times of like other people that are unfamiliar that are his family hmm. um so maybe <laughs> Nice. It okay. got mixed reviews. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thanks for sticking around if you're still here. Yeah, we love you. Love and, you. and I love you. Love you. Thanks for doing this with me, Hope. Yeah, thank you. Bye.